The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, Mid-South Gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all mm-hmm. can join us this morning. Good morning, Jim, and good morning, Veda. I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. I'm Veda with Palladio. And I'm Jim Crowder. I am uh, the retired nurseman and the administrator of our Facebook group. And I'm sure it's grown by thousands since last week. <laughs> well, right. it, you know, it has gone up several. I forgot to, to look. Are we at 10,000 yet? We should be getting really close. Let's see here. Man, I know. There are such great comments on this webpage. I mean, a Facebook page. I'm really. And we're getting more and more really good um, experts who mm-hmm. have done this for a long time. Yeah. So bored. Did you say they're bored? No, I said own board. <laughs> yeah. So that, that you know, too. I don't Could have be. to answer every single yeah, question. Yeah, that's what I was looking at. I'm, like, I'm thinking, man, we, we've got some really good people joining this group. It's a lot of fun. You know, I told you that if I nod off over here, just let me be, right? Right. And I'm like, we're going to wait till you start snoring, and then I might, like, kick you. Well, the reason, you know, when we... The well, I think I, we're going to let him snore for three or four seconds oh, right. and let okay. people hear it. Yeah, right. oh, God. We're on board with that, Jim. <laughs> Let's wait three Conni- or four seconds. Conniving, conniving. <laughs> you know... The older I get, the more I get set in my ways, right? Mm-hmm. So I've got my Friday night routine set. Yeah. You know, try to do some few notes and yeah. climb in bed at a decent time, right? Like midnight or something? No, at a decent <laughs> time, Beta. Had a friend come in town yesterday, an old, uh, young friend of mine. Well, <laughs> right, I, I got that. <laughs> well, a friend from out of town that uh-huh. I grew up with. Yeah. I hadn't seen him in probably 25 years. That's why he's not old. I probably hadn't seen him in 25 <laughs> years. And... It was so great to see him. And of course, I said, well, look, while you're here, you might as well just spend the night. Mm-hmm. So me and my wife and him went out and got a bite to eat and that whole bit. Got back, you know, watched some TV, uh, talked, you know, more right. than anything. So finally, finally get a chance and make a few notes. Finally get a chance to climb in bed, right? Mm-hmm. Much later than I would rather. Mm-hmm. So about four o'clock this morning, I hear the alarm going off. Downstairs? Yeah, like oh, yeah. the house alarm? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. So I'm getting up, and I'm like, well, I didn't set it off, you know? So I walk downstairs, the light zone, Johnny Little, my, my friend, he's sitting in the kitchen with a cup of coffee. <laughs> he said, uh, I set your alarm off, and I didn't know how to shut it off. <laughs> so he's just sitting there. <laughs> yeah, waiting on me, I guess, right. to calm down. What are you going to do? <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, so I get the alarm off, and I'm... I like it. Look, I've got like 20 more minutes that I'm going to climb back <laughs> in bed. You took those 20? Yeah, yes. but then, of course, I couldn't fall back asleep. Right, you know, right. so I'm like, gosh, but it's man. A, it's the principle. I'm not getting up until I have to. And not only on top of all of that, with the new person being in the house, our little dog is just r- sniffing around, barking around all night oh, long. right. So it's like I really never got a good solid hour's sleep. So. Right. That's why oh, if I'm not off, you need to be nice to me this morning. All right. I guess we'll give you a break. And if I fall out of the chair, just pick me back. Okay. <laughs> give you a break. Give you, man, I ch- changed my alarm to some alien sound. And uh, Philip didn't know when it went off this morning, it sounded like UFOs were God. landing. <laughs> I was like, that'll get you up. Well, and also <laughs> while I'm here, in, in the first 15 minutes of the show, y'all can go ahead and thank me now, mm-hmm. if you would. Okay. Thank you, Kenneth. Yeah, thank you, babe. Um, the rain that we got yesterday... You know, um, yeah. I'll wait forever before I have to go out and manually water anything in my yard, other than the containers. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I get home. This is Saturday, Thursday night after work. I pull the hose out and I start watering. 
And I mean, I'm drenching shrubs and mm-hmm. just everything, just a good hand soaking, which takes a while, okay? Well, then my wife comes out. She said, you know, did you even look at the weather? And I said, <laughs> yes, honey, I looked at yeah. the weather. There's no rain in sight <laughs> for uh-huh. 10 days. Exactly. None. Right. So, of course, it rained mm-hmm. the next day that came out of nowhere. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> if I hadn't watered, manually watered for hours and hours, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have happened. No. So no. you can thank me now. Right. Okay. Yeah, thanks. I'll Kenny. thank you for that. Thank you, Jim. Yeah. I'm yeah. telling you. But Everywhere. we needed it. Lordy, we needed that no, rain. I'm so glad. So uh, now our um, lawns should grow really quickly for us because we've been fertilizing all summer, trying to get our yard to do something. I mean, so you that could, one little bit of rain may yeah. have done something. You could see some lawns that hadn't been watered slowly just start to go a little dormant. Mm-hmm. You know, they go yeah. in that self-defense mode. I'm telling yeah. you. And it. Y'all, it's been hot and it's been dry. And I'm telling you, so when I was looking at my radar yesterday, all the rain was to the north of us. And I'm like, dang, man, we're going to miss all this yeah. rain again. Yeah. Well, sure. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was saying. Can it just drop? And it did. So we're thankful for that. And maybe some more rain today, possibly, Jim. What did you look and check I it out? I haven't looked for today. Yeah. I wonder what's happening today. I still could use some. But let's see. The ground's still not so not so hard pan dry mm-hmm. so working in your yard today wouldn't be horrible mm. it'd be easy to pull some weeds gonna be 94 and a 30 percent chance of thunderstorm uh, and i call oh, that 40 percent tomorrow so you're gonna go water in a little bit so if we y'all can get need some more rain. if y'all need it yeah let me know yeah, you yeah. go ahead and go Spend ahead the whole day watering will yeah you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah go right ahead Let's do it right if you're gonna do it <laughs> but Tired i guess slinging the water hose it's going to be a little too wet for me to, uh, I guess, to cut the grass. And Do I know we've only... Our, our, we probably soaked all that up so fast. I don't know. I'm not going to let you get you out know, of cutting the lawn. Just wait for the dew to get off of it. It'd be all, you think so? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Y'all, I've got a cicada story. I was, same thing, Thursday night after I'd gotten through spending hours watering, <laughs> you know, and it was dark when, I get, when I'm done. So I come inside, take a shower, get ready to take the dog out for eat dinner. And I walk out the back on the back uh, porch there, shut the door, and I look down, and there's this cicada down there by the door. And I'm thinking, well, this is, you know, it must be dead. Mm-hmm. So I reach down <laughs> to pick this thing up. You know how they start screaming? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Y'all, I fl- fell backwards. The dog ran. <laughs> Gina come running out, like, what happened to me? And I'm thinking, my God. So I get this screaming thing, and I set it on a shrub over there to the right of me. And I'm, so while I'm turning around, I'm watching the dog. Well, the thing comes back and hits me right in the head. Yes. I mean, they do that. Yes. And I got I'm it like, the other day. what is going on? This is one <laughs> bug that is, first of all, almost broke uh, my neck picking right. the thing up. And now it's slapping me in the face. And I'm like, what is going on around here? <laughs> yeah, I told you a story, Barrett, where I shot a hole through one with a BB. <laughs> oh. Could see sky on the other side of it, you know? <laughs> and and then was... it comes off, lands right in my hair, yeah, and starts right. doing his dance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, as much is... as I love insects, I don't want one dancing in my hair. <laughs> Ooh. But, I, you know, of course, I was standing by the light, and this thing come flying and hit me in the head. I'm like, my Lord, all I was trying to help you out, bug. Yeah. You know? Yeah, right. Right, that was like me with the praying mantis yesterday, trying to get him out of a container at work. Kept working on it. Work, come on, you know, feeling sorry for it. Let me get you out. We're in the pavilion. There's nothing. I dropped the container. <laughs> on him? 
No, luckily he jumped while the container was oh. falling. I know that would have really been bad, but I did. I busted the container up, but the praying mantis is free. There you go. Now, why did I see this one cicada? I mean, what's the deal well, with that? Well, I saw one, I was going to say, one ran into me in the uh, courtyard yesterday. Uh, I, well, I kind of had to duck. I was like, mm-hmm. what's flying right at me? So what, are we going to have the cicadas beating us up this year? No, no these are just annual annual ones. So they're not, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're, they're loud, but yeah. it's not going to be one of those. What, do we have another five, five years before mm-hmm. we have the, the major <laughs> push again? 2025, I believe we got another okay. one, but I need to check on that. Yeah. All right, so if you yeah. see a cicada out there, guys, just leave the thing alone. If you try to move him, if you try to do the nice thing, mm-hmm. he's going to come back and slap you in the head. Right. So what, cicadas... Um, about every seven years, is it five to seven years where there's more of them? Yeah. The, the big ones, I think are on 13 year schedules mm-hmm. or 17 years. Yeah. Isn't crazy? 17. Um, yeah. Yeah. See, I, I did not know that, that, uh, and, the, and then there are different broods. We have a mm-hmm. couple that overlap here. Yeah. So huh. I do, I know they get loud, really loud, but if I not gonna, if I don't hear them in the summer, it's going to be a sad day, <laughs> but you, that's just part of summer in the south is yeah. hearing the cicadas. Yeah, you know, it's, mosquitoes run my wife inside, and it's cicadas run me inside. <laughs> <laughs> they just, uh, you know. Is it cicada or cicada? or well, is Big loud bug. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's kind of like tomato, tomato. Cicada, yeah. cicada. I don't uh, really, I, I just don't like the sound of them. Oh, Oh, I see. Yeah. Hey, one of our good dirt buddies, uh, Jan Childers, she just texted in. She said, I just spit my coffee out envisioning Kenneth and that cicada. I know, right? <laughs> just, you're just not expecting it to do that. That's the thing. I, I wish Jan could have been there. But I'm telling you, I was like, what is going on around here? Right? You know? <laughs> the insect story. Well, that's, um, you know, how they always say the early bird gets the worm. But also the early bird gets all the spider webs in their face while they're walking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, y'all, we're going to go to a break. Give us a call, 901-260-5926. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Yes, cicadas, what a wonderful thing. Insects, that's why we have to build our um, gardens and our yards and all to supply a lot of food for our insects the good ones and even the bad ones because the good ones need the bad ones for food to survive so right jim right (laughs) it's like come on you got you got to pay attention if ken is not here because neither one of us can talk like he can yeah um stay with us during the eight o'clock hour we're going to talk about uh, something we're seeing an awful lot of this year and that's aster yellows uh milkweed yellows Really? And these type diseases. So we're gonna we're gonna be talking about those in the eight o'clock hour. Uh, what causes them? Mm-hmm. How to possibly prevent it? Um, so anyway, yeah. So okay. I so think we, it'll be interesting. We haven't talked about that hardly ever. Yeah. Calling aster yellows, mm-hmm. and yeah, mm, that'll be interesting. And uh, what else have we got for this for three hours? We have got so many topics we can go over. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, I saw a picture of Overton Park, and I didn't realize that that was in there, the crepe myrtles, and um, what kind of cypress are those? Yeah, They're this tall is and skinny. Overton? Yeah, at Overton Park. It's like, this is beautiful, but there's some tall, thin, gorgeous-looking uh, cypress. They almost look like Italian cypress, but they're not that thin. 
Do you? Can you tell what they are? Well, no, because I lost your picture. Oh, well, it's what I was wondering is they look so good. Did they just plant them, but they're not going to last? Where did that picture go? Let me well, find that Well, there picture. are some successful Italian cypress in this town. <laughs> they are few and far between. Mm-hmm. What's the key with that? It definitely looks like an Italian cypress. Yeah. Uh, drainage is, mm-hmm. is probably the, the most important part, but they also get... Um, ceridium canker so you know it's it, if you've got lelands around you just might get it so. the, the two prettiest italian cypress i think i've ever seen were many 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 years ago uh i think i was over at mus on their campus i think my son was playing a sport over there and they were they were in these huge uh containers believe it or not and they were absolutely beautiful i mean they were perfect plants for the huge perfect pot because mm-hmm. they needed this real tall a vertical plant. And I was, I stopped. I'm like, okay, that's Italian Cypress. Yeah. You know, why is this thing looking so right, good? Right. Uh, and like Jim just said, it had great drainage. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that is the key. Of course, what's not the key with drainage around here, right? right. <laughs> but now I haven't been back over there and they, they're probably long gone, but people do try. In fact, mm-hmm. early this spring, I had a gentleman, good friend of mine. Uh, he wanted me to get him two Italian Cypress, uh, which I did. And uh, I need to ask him, you know, how are they mm-hmm. doing? Because, you know, we went over all that. Yeah. You got to have really good drainage. But at the same time, in the summertime, you got to keep them hydrated. But they, right. <laughs> they, they want water, but they surely don't want to stand in yeah. water. And I guess that's true for so many things yeah. we plant around the here. the Italian cypress are definitely more picky to that. I love them. I think they're beautiful. And people ask for them all the time. They request them. But... I'm always nervous because it's kind of like a 50-50, it seems like, yeah, and, that they and, would do good. And that canker, Jim, I mean, if, if you can, you know, the more stressed they are, the more susceptible Likely, they yeah. are to get that canker disease. And I guess, you know, other than the growing conditions, you know, that's what's going to stress these Italian cypress, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, too much water, not enough water, uh, clay soil, you know. Right. Yeah. Oh, well. I saw there's two that um, I had seen living for years. They were really tall, and they had Christmas lights twined up in them. And I'm thinking, they're just going to be here forever. But the flash freeze got those. But I, but they were beginning being to look more stressed every year. Well, we definitely see more arbovitas. We see more upright junipers, those type yeah. of plants that are definitely, in my opinion, much easier to grow around here, not as finicky, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, than, say, Italian cypress. You can still almost get that same look, even the sky pencil holly to some extent. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not the same plant. But I get that. it's still thin. Yeah. <laughs> it's still thin. So, I mean, I, th- those would be my first choices before I planted an Italian cypress. Man. You know, I got in, they were called, I think they were... Skyrocket mm-hmm. Yopon Hollies. Which is more is of an it, upright. Right. Mm. Am I putting that together? Yeah. Right. And so I got those in and uh, they looked so wonderful and they were full of uh, white blooms. So they're going to be thin well, and have red berries. I got to look up the exactly name. Skyrocket. It was like a Yopon Holly. Okay. But they were, people bought those so fast. And now I want to see what they look like in the winter. I hope I see some more available, but I'm thinking now, because the sky pencil holly we like, but it still falls, mm-hmm. you know, it falls open. And also with those, they really want that good drainage yes, too. Yes, they do. 
And so I would say there's like 75, 25, like 75% they're going to live and 25% maybe not. But I love that look. And these skyrocket hollies were thin like that too. And so maybe it's going to be a replacement for the sky pencil. But now I need, I just thought of them as we were talking. Yeah, and I was like, where did those go? Yeah, but, but you know, 99% of these vertical evergreens that we see around here are, you know, the, the arbovitas. Um, and they're, you know, they're actually pretty easy to grow. Once you get them established, you know, if you keep them watered in the summertime, mm -hmm. uh, good mulch around them in the winter, they're, they're not that bad. Now, of course, they, bagworms love them. Yeah. yeah. Let them get dry and they're, you know, bagworms will just flock to them. Yeah. But I still would not ever not plant one knowing that I might get bagworms at some point. Cause I know I can just go out there and spray to kill these bagworms. In fact, my neighbor behind me has got some, uh, I guess they're emerald giant instead of emerald yeah. green arbovitus. I mean, these things, guys, they're two stories tall. You know, they got the multiple points that are coming up. They're full, they're healthy, they're green. And I know this, he doesn't do anything to them, well, I'm telling you. Just keep some water. Yeah, so it looks like you're thinking maybe Spartan, Spartan juniper. Spartan juniper, possibly those are. Yeah. You need to get up closer, I can't tell. It doesn't mm -hmm. look like, you know, Chamociparus tends to have... Um, foliage that is flat instead yeah. of upright like gotcha, this gotcha. um but it you know it could be an italian cypress but you know it looks I'd a little fluffier closer. than italian cypress but that was the only thing i could yeah. think of but that spartan so the spartans should do good here yeah spartans do mm. great here in fact we had some years ago at dan west i got that were in i think 25 gallon pots and they were nearly 15 feet tall mm -hmm. they were huge well but there so. are situations in our landscape where we need tall vertical things we just yeah. really need it yep. right um and so i think i'm liking that spartan juniper then and then what about some of these trees now that we see that are uh, especially in in commercial oh, settings right. the, the thin trees yeah. like the uh i think it's the sweet gum in it or, right yeah there is yeah, a sweet gum. english oak yeah in, is that an that. english oak gym yeah. that grows mm -hmm. more There's up and down elm no, that's probably. Or, yeah. Is, but it's pretty neat that when you see these trees, mm -hmm. you know, one trunk yeah. growing straight up, and, and these things are, they're very up and down. I mean, they're right. pencil-like trees. Well, I saw, I had seen a video on Facebook, Ben Dieter, who is, does the morning show, he had videoed when the storm was happening, and apparently where he's at, there's a lot of the um, sweet gums, mm -hmm. the thin, the the columnar sweet yeah. gums and they were planted all in a row and they were just whipping back and forth in that storm but they didn't care but i was looking at the space that they were in and it was perfect i yeah. mean you get a tree at the same time but it fits in those skinny spots and now i'm seeing them planted you know but that what do they call that the dead zone yeah. between the street and the mm -hmm. sidewalk yeah. yeah but i'm but i'm wondering why because i see so much of these type of trees because they need this vertical greenery. Well, Jim, we see it in commercial settings, but not so much in homeowner settings. Really, because most homeowners don't really like them. They want they want a shade tree. You know, mm -hmm. occasionally you'll find somebody that it's wanting some uh, privacy between their fence and driveway, which is like six inches. Gotcha. You know, and gotcha. and they want to block the window on the house next door. So they have some function there, but just in the normal landscape, you know, I'm not 
just overly thrilled with them. And it's got to be the reason why you don't see a lot of those out right. there in just regular landscapes. The code enforcement now, though, is specifying mm-hmm. these a lot. In fact, mm-hmm. you know, I had had guy come in, uh, it's been several years ago, from code enforcement, and he had seen some, uh, some of our upright oaks. And um, uh, he said, can you save those five for me because we got somebody that's going to need them? And sure enough. You know, so he told them where to find them because they had been apparently been looking for something like that. And um, and we had it, of course. Right. Of course. Yeah. Um, we're always looking. People always want something that's tall and will fit in small spaces. And then when you show them that, they're like, no, they want the tree. Well, and not not everybody knows exactly what tree they're looking at. Mm -hmm. Real quick. I know we only got like one minute uh, talking to a gentleman the other day. Uh, his neighbor had a tree that had needed to come down after the storm that we had. So they had a, uh, a he had this guy had like a pickup crew type tree mm-hmm. cutters on his property going to cut this tree down. Uh, and the guy I was talking to walked over and said, I can see y'all going to take this tree down. He said, yeah. He said, I'm looking at these two uh, live oaks in your front yard. Yeah. They need to come down too. What? <laughs> <laughs> so, so the guy I was talking to like, you know, maybe I would trust this guy to cut a tree down because uh-huh. hopefully they're good at just doing that. But he didn't because some other people were around. And he didn't want to embarrass the guy. He said he didn't tell him, look, that's not a live oak. Yeah. But here's the here's a guy in the business cutting trees down saying, uh-huh. looks like you got root rot and we need to take those two live oaks down that are in your front yard. Oh, <laughs> you know, man. he's like that. What That was just you know, based on money. I mean, he's like, what? One of my rules in life is don't buy anything from anybody that operates out of a tent or a pickup (laughs) truck. A beater. We'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You can download the app, themighty990.com, and uh, stream us online. Mm -hmm. You can get to our podcast that way. Yep. And if you want to give us a call, 901-260-5926. 901-260-5926. And like Veda said, the Mighty 990 Facebook page, a lot of people, there we are live, Veda. Mm-hmm. People will shoot us a text anytime they want. And if you miss all of this, uh, and I've had so many people come into the garden center, they said when they're out doing their yard work or whatever, they're listening to the podcast. We appreciate all yes, that. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Well, we've got to work our way through August. Yeah. But. The weather next week doesn't look horrible. You know, it's not horrible. I know we've went through August, like, hitting hundreds constantly. You know, this whole year hadn't been horrible, mm-hmm. honestly. No. You know, it, it was a little wet early on, mm-hmm. uh, but the temperatures were cooler yeah. in the spring. So, and then even the summer, you know, I mean, we've had some hot weather. I mean, golly, have we, right. the, especially the last couple of weeks. But overall, it hasn't mm-hmm. been one of these just... Oh, I can't stand it anymore. Right, well, kind of 16 weather. weeks of no rain right. and close to 100. Mm-hmm. We've had that before. So I will take this spring. I like it. And then I was out on the patio, and I I said, you know, I think I want snow again this year. <laughs> I'm liking the snow, but I want it to be nice snow. Now, you know, if- where, we're, where we're not having the power out. Because, you know, I love storms, but then I start feeling guilty for loving the storm because I know somebody's going to suffer without electricity. Well, I tell you what, these it winds... goes out, doesn't it? Talking to a gentleman the other day, you know, the trees around here, because of our clay soil, they're so shallow-rooted. They can't take these wet conditions and then high winds. They yeah. just can't. They're coming down. 
Um, you know, I told you about the mimosa tree in my backyard. I mean, it's it's down, you oh, know, and it's right. cut up and it's it's gone. But oh, and it's going to start doing its thing now. Yeah, I mean, Beautiful I'll I'll blend. grab another one and stick it back there. But my, and and then you know, anytime we have high winds around here, you can see the either the trees themselves that have been cut up and out there on the curb or or limbs right. are out cut up out there on the curb. They just these they just can't take these high winds here in Shelby County did, anyway with this clay soil that we have. Did people not want mimosas because they reseeded everywhere? Or you, was it, yeah. Oh, well, Dad Gummit, see, of course they're supposed to reseed everywhere, but do you have them anywhere where you can recover no. one? No, but <laughs> see, if you, when they're supposed no, to, no. everybody downwind from him though, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but if you get online, if you ever read about a mimosa tree, I mean, you would never in your life ever, ever plant one. I mean, I'm telling you, you just wouldn't. It'd scare you to death. You know, they're brittle and they're messy and they, they, you know, you get seedlings everywhere and you get silkworms in there. and I mean, it's just horrible. No. I mean, I had this one mimosa tree back in the corner of my backyard in this bed and it grew to, I mean, this thing was 40 foot tall and 30 foot wide. Mm-hmm. It grew into a massive tree. Um, but, and, but my wife loved the blooms when they bloomed, but this thing never, I mean, never did I even have to pull one mimosa yeah. tree up, uh, <laughs> somewhere else. Now, like Jim said, downwind from me, <laughs> they might, but yeah. no, it, it wasn't a problem. Now is it's not a tree that you're typically going to find ever in a nursery. Yeah. You know, not anymore. No, right. no, but you can go out and if you find one around a pond, you can dig the thing up, lean it against the fence for two weeks, plant it and still going to grow, mm-hmm. you know? Man. Yeah. Occasionally you'll see there's a one that's a chocolate colored yeah. foliage that you'll see that Monrovia, I think, mm. still grows. Um, I find a good friend of mine, uh, Bill Farrell, has, uh, has a beautiful one. Uh, but you know, I planted uh-huh. them twice, I think, and successfully killed them both. Right. So, well, see, to me, a chocolate-colored foliage on a mimosa is kind of like green ketchup. It just <laughs> yeah. it's just not right. It, it you're correct there until it blooms, and then uh-huh. the, the pink against the dark it is uh, kind of yeah. stunning. So, um, and it makes me think of the purple foliage or chocolate foliage, even crepe mm-hmm. myrtle that has the white yeah. bloom. Don't like them. I, I don't, don't Well, that's my point, though, yeah. Jim. I'm, it's, I don't know if it's that I don't like them or is it just that I'm not used to mm-hmm. them. They just, no, I can hardly say there's not a plant that I, I like everything for some kind of way. But those crepe myrtles, the black crepe myrtles, I, I just don't. When I started the uh, nursery at the garden over at the botanic gardens, they had, I don't know, six or eight of the black, mm-hmm. white flowered yeah. crepe myrtles planted in front of the fence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were, they were crepe myrtle scale magnets. Yeah. They yeah. were blackened all really? the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's and I I've kept telling them, I said, you know, we need to remove these and just make this whole bed right here. Just make a bed and let's put perennials in it so mm-hmm. people can see them, which they finally did after yeah. I left. Um, but it's... Uh, <laughs> Took his advice. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But I but wonder anyway, it, why they would be more susceptible to... Just some varieties yeah. are, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I have not had any on mine. Now, I have been treating them rather religiously every other year or so, um, but... I have a um, beautiful uh, red rocket, mm-hmm. deep red, you know. Love that. Yeah, it's pretty. And then I've got a huge, I guess it's uh, a Potomac that, gosh, the trunk is three feet across at wow. the base. Multiple yeah. stems. It's huge uh, and really pretty. But Man. Well, I, I got to check with the 
Darth and Billy Parker, he's all he's wanted a red rocket crate myrtle. And those don't get too tall, do no, they? No, they yeah. don't. Yeah. But every time, twice. This one's 15 feet. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Well, twice I bought one first time. We planted it. It bloomed pink. Missed bought tag. one again. Bloomed pink. Missed tag. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And so I can't, or did we ever find a red one? I can't remember. But he wanted a red rocket so bad. And every time we'd put one in, it was the wrong color. And the red are, and then there's one called dynamite, uh, yeah, which are really pretty. Yeah, we looking but, for that one, too. You know, and then, yeah. of course, I still love the white blooming crepe mm-hmm. myrtles. Um, but in crepe myrtle bark scale, you mentioned that, Jim. You know, it's it's one of those things where I don't think it's as bad. In fact, we all know it's not as bad as it was when it first hit Shelby County. But I think it's one of those things that's, that's never going to go away. No. Great myrtle bark scale is out there. People are treating it with the, you know, the tree and shrub insect drench that you just mix and pour around the crepe myrtles. It's by far the most effective and easiest way to get rid of crepe myrtle bark scale. But it, it's just one of those things where it's just not ever going to go away. No. You know, so just be prepared if you've got crepe myrtles or if you're planning on planting crepe myrtles. I would never not plant one because of crepe myrtle bark scale because we all know how easy it is to control. Mm-hmm. But you just got to make sure that you do it. You know, that's the key. And, you know, we're talking to people that have these crepe myrtles. They never treat them. They're full of crepe myrtle bark scale. Yeah. They're they're secreting that honeydew, and everything under and around these crepe myrtles are turning black with that sooty mold. Now, to me, that's when they are horrible looking. Mm -hmm. You know, when they've got black mold all over them. They're very, they're stunted. Yeah. And they just, they either need to be treated or taken up. Right. One or the other. You could treat it and fertilize it and water it and treat it and fertilize it, water it and have it come back out looking nice. And I think that'd definitely be the way to go instead of cutting it down. But there's a few, like you said, the black uh, crepe myrtles. That's how I remember them. It's just full of crepe myrtle bark cell and scale. So they're almost just ready just to chop down. Well, and then I'm sitting here thinking to myself, is there any I don't. I can't really think of many non-green foliage plants that I do like. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I know that they for you know, like say Lorpedlum, for example, right. that has purple yeah. foliage. These crepe myrtles we're talking about that has the you know the, a chocolate type foliage. Uh, and and these these growers do this on purpose because they want to have contrast out there instead of having all green foliage. Yep. You know, it's people good to ask have, for that, right? Yeah. But, but I don't know. Maybe it's, I don't know if it's that I don't like that foliage mm-hmm. or there again, I'm just not used to seeing it. And that that's why in my mind, I don't think I like it. Oh, it's just because you don't like green ketchup. That's <laughs> how your mind works. But maybe I'm thinking, you know, it just, I don't know. Maybe to me it's unnatural and that's mm-hmm. why I'm just not gravitated towards purple, dark purple or chocolate covered foliage plants. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So yeah, Except for maybe the, the dark colored hydrangea. The foliage that that's black on that. How how's that one looking, Jim? You got one, didn't you? What's that? The hydrangea. Oh, hydra- yeah, yeah, it looks good. You know, it's mm-hmm. retained most of its black. Yeah. Of course, up inside, underneath the outer foliage, it has it's more of a greenish black. Yeah. Um, but no, it's held up really well, and I've let it wilt to where it just looked like it was gone really? several times. Huh. Pops right back up. Hydrangeas <laughs> just, just blow my great, mind. So. I need to cut the flowers off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you mean the dispent blooms or? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And of course, she had gotten them from the coast, so they had flower buds on mm-hmm. them when I bought them. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, but and they were planted her, this year, Jim? Or? Yes. Yeah. And, these, and these are 
June? When mm-hmm. was when was yeah, your around, thing in June? Yeah, yeah, yeah. June. Yeah, these are a dark colored foliage. Yeah, yeah, with a light pink, pink and white bloom. It's uh, it's really really pretty. Well, okay. Yeah, I think next year it'll be spectacular. Yeah, when they first came off the truck, of course, I didn't see them being unloaded, and then I walked down to the greenhouse area to see everything that was unloaded, and I had forgotten that I ordered those, and I first instantly thought they had been pushed up against the truck and had burned with heat or something. (laughs) And then I said, oh, yeah, that's right. And, you know, I had read in in the trends that supposedly goth gardening was Mm -hmm. supposed to be a trend, but we just listed some things that would go in the goth mm-hmm. garden: the uh, crepe myrtle and the um, the lower petalums, the lower petalums, the, uh, the hydrangea. Mimosa. You're talking about, yeah, yeah the, the hydrangea. What was another one that was really cool? Oh, like the sumac. Mm-hmm. Remember that black sumac? Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, black dahlias, black pansies, black iris. Yeah, ooh, mm-hmm. black iris. That's a good one. So I guess you could have a, a goth garden. Yeah, our friend Mark Salzman, that you know, is probably listening right now, has some beautiful black iris. Mm. Man, I bet that is beautiful. Okay, we got to run to another break, and we'd like to hear what you've got going on in your garden. Nine zero one two six zero five nine two six, and if you call up here, Philip will get the phone. And if you don't want to be on the show, he can just put the question up for mm-hmm. us. So 901 Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Oh, yeah. Give us a call, 901-260-5926. You can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening, and Shoot us a text right there. And like we said, if you miss all of this, you can go back to uh, com, streaming live all the time and listen to the podcast anytime you want. Got a couple of notifications this week that I want to share with you from uh, the Department of Agriculture. Um, there is a d- disease called laurel wilt disease, which has now been identified in, in Shelby County. Uh, it attacks, uh, let me get here and give you the whole list. It attacks... Laurels, I guess. Uh, <laughs> in many things in the laurel family, including red bay, sassafras, spice bush, pond spice, swamp bay, bay laurel, and avocados. So if you have an avocado tree, you know, it's doomed. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it is carried by an ambrosia beetle. Uh, and the fungus that it carries gets inside and blocks the the uh, xylem, which conduct, takes water up to the foliage, mm-hmm. ultimately causes it to wilt and then die. So uh, you want to make sure that you keep, if you have one of these or see anything that looks like the frass, little hole with sawdust that just sticks out in the middle of the ear, spray that thing quickly, you know, and Kenneth and I were talking here a minute ago, we think it'd be a good idea to use a drench. Uh, Bear has a drench that has both imidacloprid and tibiconazole. Which is the fungicide added to it, Which is the fungicide that put that on there. Now, you know... Uh, this one is so new, I don't know how f- long it will take for it to take down a plant yet, mm-hmm. um, or if maybe you can stop it. Uh, so Jim, but this is not the same ambrosia beetle that I found in my crepe myrtle. No, it is not. It's a different. But it is an ambrosia beetle. Yes. And it's affecting the laurels, you said. Right. And the other thing uh, they've asked us to do is ask all of you guys to keep an eye out for a... a Large, long black beetle with a couple of white spots on the back. Uh, that that's the Asian longhorn beetle has really long antennas. 
it is it's it's already in the United States, and we want to keep an eye on it to make sure that it doesn't move into our area. Well, I wonder why she's sing, sending up a little red flag right now well, to be able to look out for that beetle. Yeah, particularly as we get closer to winter, people are, are getting uh, firewood. Of course. And it's very easily transmitted in that. Um, there are technically quarantines from those areas that are infected that say you can't move firewood out, but that doesn't mean people don't. You know, in the quarantines, Jim, I know they're there for a reason, right. you know, and they're trying to keep, you know, these invasive species, whether it's an insect, a disease, or a plant, you know, in check. I get it. But it seems like they eventually, they just don't work. Yeah. You know? Right. You know, it's like, uh, there's no telling how many billions of dollars mm-hmm. we spent trying to keep the emerald ash borer from moving across the country. Right. And, and none of it helped. Right. Okay. We may have slowed it down a little, but we couldn't stop it. And so now they're just not spending any more money on it. And, and this one is the, what was the name of that beetle? The, this is the Asian longhorn beetle. And I've seen pictures of this thing. Yeah. Any idea how close that beetle might be to us? I mean, are, is it in Vermont? Or no. Is it in... Uh, it's in South Carolina, we know. Wow. Uh, so, and I have not heard. I'll see if I can, while we're uh, at break, I'll see if I can find an updated map on how far they've moved. And then, you know, on how destructive that thing is. They are deadly. I mean, they do huge amount of damage quickly um, in in trees. So, um, mm. and, and and most of these, of course, are imported insects. They're not native to the no, United States. That's correct. But once they get here, you know, they they make the United States their home. Right. Uh, and they. Just so much damage that they that they do. The laurel wilt was first identified in Georgia in 2002, so it's been in established oh, wow. for 20 and I've years. I've never even or heard so. of that, honestly. Right. But it's just <laughs> now getting to our area. So, and, and speaking of laurels, Jim, you know, there are the you know skip laurels, cherry laurels, auto lucan laurels. I mean, but auto lucans is the one that typically you would find in landscapes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you and I both know that they better have really good drainage or they will start having dead limbs and they'll start, you know, have root rot and they'll die. Uh, but it's one of those shrubs that, you know, I love them in somebody else's landscape. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? I really do. I yeah. mean, cause I still, I love them, but I would never plant one. I don't think myself, uh, because they also had this disease called shot hole disease. Right. And that's where you get the little holes in the leaves and it's nothing. You can't get rid of shot hole. You know, you can, plant them the right way and have good air circulation and no overhead irrigation mm-hmm. and not have as much shot hole, but you're, you're never going to completely eliminate it. So it's one of those plants where I love, but I don't want mm-hmm. one. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, they are pretty. I've had some people tell me that they had good results by uh, using a lot of liquid natural fertilizer, spraying the foliage, mm-hmm. Keeping that thing the is soil. healthy. Yeah, but was it? did it happen over long term? A lot of times you talk to... Uh, customers and all and they're having success at that moment yeah but is it long term mm-hmm. you know so there is that but i heard a lot of really good um comments over spraying their foliage in their soil I, and, you know, and i think any good fungicide if you'll do it monthly yeah mm-hmm. and start before new growth comes yeah. out you can really you're not... gonna keep a lot of it down and what yeah. about this past yeah. winter i know Early on, I saw a tremendous amount of damage, winter damage, mm-hmm. from that flash freeze we had on laurels, uh, including the autolucans. 
In fact, most of them I saw looked dead. Now, I haven't paid any attention to see if these things even vaguely came back out or most of them are, are gone. I don't yeah. Do y'all have y'all seen any laurels out there that kind of like the azaleas uh-huh. and hollies and everything else that finally started flushing back out? Yeah, I have some seen seen some that are you know four or five inches tall. Okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like the right. osmanthus, the sweet olives. Uh-huh. You know, they yeah. were killed to the ground. I thought, good lord, all the osmanthus uh-huh. are dead in this county, which technically they were. But we're seeing a lot of that come back from the root, thank goodness. Or if you cut lower petalums to the ground, they're starting to flush back out, That's too. That's right. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing that happen. And where I cut them to the ground, I was glad I could. But we're going to have to dig them out because they just keep... Well, I wonder, they'll die out quicker than a crepe myrtle, uh, the shoots coming out, won't they? I mean, you know, crepe myrtles were constantly treating the suckers, but on the lower petalums... Am I going to have to dig the root out? If, to get rid of it, you yeah. mean? Yeah. I think if you let it get a little height on it and mm-hmm. then, you know, wick applicate some Roundup, maybe yeah. with some trichopyr, you should that be able to knock it, it out. Yeah. The, um, <laughs> they're, they're, we have this one place at work where the crepe myrtles uh, keep sprouting up. There's no crepe myrtle there. It was cut down. Sil- stupidly, it was cut down. And um, so the sprouts are always coming up. And so I was trying to pull them up, but you can't on some of them. They're just mm-hmm. in there so much. And then I was like, okay, I'll get Alejandro to spray the Roundup. You know, mm-hmm. he's doing all that. And I'm looking and I'm going, they can't be here. And so, okay, I got to get my pruners. Let me prune them down mm-hmm. to something. Cause you know, they're in the retail area and they look horrible and they're growing up around a short fountain. And I couldn't even find the pruners at the moment. And, uh, I had that 20% vinegar on the mm-hmm. shelf. And I just was anything. right there by it, and anything. I grabbed it and just, you know, doused it with it. And they, it did. It just, like, instantly killed them. Yeah. But they're still going to come back. But it works for a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, but I, then the guy, the one of the guys came b- behind me, which I didn't know. I, I went back and looked, and I was like, man, that vinegar's good because there's not even any he went back and cut them all the way down to the he ground. He went back after, you know, a while, and since they looked so bad, he just he was able to pull them out. And I thought the one time that he does something on his own that I didn't tell him to, you're making me think that that vinegar's awesome. Yeah, but when you <laughs> cut one of these crepe myrtles down, you're going to get some sprouts, you I'm telling are. you. All right, y'all, hang on. We have two more hours. We'd love to hear y'all's questions. We'll be back after this. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We're just here looking at each other's pictures and videos and talking about houseplants and trees and bugs. And there's just so much going on in the garden world. And thank goodness. Yeah. And more better. I think there's more better things more going better. on. Yeah. Uh, welcome back, everybody. You listen to Mid-South yeah. Gardening on the Mighty 990. Uh, what, 990 and 107.9 mm-hmm. FM? Yep. Yes. And if you want to give us a call, 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926. And you can always shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, uh, Mid-South Gardening. And during the week, you can reach us at our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening. You can post picture. You can brag. Uh, you can ask questions and you, a couple of things, search our, uh, 
postings, you'll find good answers to a lot of your problems. I have to say you will, Jim. And then if you need more information, look at our file section. we will give you things that are uh, um, poisonous plants, um, plants for wet or dry areas. Mm-hmm. And we have huge list of hostas, fruit tree varieties, apple pollination chart. There's just... All kinds of information there under our files. Well, Jim, I'm going to tell you right now, I've sent a lot of people to that, uh, or a lot of people that didn't never heard of it. Mm-hmm. I said, look, you've got to check this thing out and become a member. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm telling you, at the very least, check it out. It is, It really is it's, it's, it's very informative to me. Yeah, and particularly one of the most uh, important files on there is one about crepe myrtles. Because so many times people plant the wrong crepe myrtle, okay? Mm-hmm. They come in heights from 18 inches up to 30 feet or more. And, you know, it they're sorted so that you can pick out the size you want, the color you want, mm-hmm. and tell you the variety that, you know, you should be planting there. Mm-hmm. Love so. it. Yeah, and so we don't realize that there are crepe myrtle shrubs. That they're only like four feet tall, yep. and I saw a planting of them uh, a couple of days ago, and they had them like specimen shrubs. Mm-hmm. So there was one on this corner and one over there, and they're just blooming their heads off. They were mm-hmm. beautiful, mm-hmm. but I thought we're not using those enough. No, you're right. Yeah, because I don't even know if I've seen crepe myrtle bark scale on the small ones. Well, but, I hadn't seen enough of them to tell you. You know, yeah, honestly, that's a good yeah. point. Good point. All right, let's go to David calling from San Francisco. Good morning, David. You're in the Mid-South Garden. I am. You are. You are. David, we hadn't heard from you in a minute, and I hope you're doing well. Well, yes and no. We uh, uh, we were afraid we were going to lose our office. Uh, some new owners of the building came in and mm-hmm. started uh, changing things out, but uh, I think we got it squared away. Oh, good. Well, good That's deal. scary David, sometimes. and I forget, what time is it now on the West Coast? Well, I'm calling you from Guam, so I can only tell you that it's uh, a little after five. (laughs) (laughs) He's calling from Guam, my Lord. Well, good morning to you. 16 hours, or no, 15 hours for you. Yes, sir. But uh, uh, let's see, um, I'm thinking of the Gulf of Mexico, and Mm -hmm. everybody's heard on the news, you know, that the getting boiling hot in the Gulf now. Mm -hmm. It was at 101 degrees uh, in the coral reefs. It's crazy. and that's the last 2% of the coral reefs that used to be here 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they're and, going, and if it keeps it up in these high temperatures, these water temperatures, David, they're going to go away. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. They, well, they just die. They, they just cooked. die. Yeah. And, and, uh, and they're the spawning place, you know, where all the fish go to spawn, mm-hmm. we're in the corals. So you kill off the corals, where are the fish going to go to spawn? Now, is it because of, you know, water flowing into the Gulf? Is it because of just the, the you know, just the temperatures outside are raising, you know, the water temperature? I mean... Well, that's what I'm... I'm there's got to be a lot of combinations of different things, you mm-hmm. know. But they're saying, the, you know, there's been so many floods in the upper Mississippi, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like in the upper Missouri, for that matter, and washing all that topsoil down into the Gulf mm-hmm. and, cho- you know, clouding it up. And uh, the cloudier it gets, the hotter it gets. And, uh, and you know, it's not particularly food when it's that much uh, silt. Well, no, and, and we all know, you know, at the mouth of the Mississippi River, where it runs into the Gulf, you know, they actually even call that a dead zone, if you will. 
um, because of all the silt and everything else coming down there, nothing really wants to live there, you know. So you're right, David. But also to your point, David, I've got a really good friend of mine. He's a retired pilot, okay? And one of the things that he's always enjoyed doing is going around the world taking pictures of seagoing birds, okay? Now, one of his favorite places, Baden Jim, I think I told you this before, one of his favorite places he loved to go was up uh, off the cliffs of Labrador in northern Canada, okay? And he would always, uh, for years, take pictures of these flocks of different types of seabirds. Well, one thing he told me last year that he noticed, of course, the birds follow the food, right? Well, the coastal water up, up in northern Canada is getting warmer closer to the surface. So the fish that a lot of these birds feed on are going out further, okay? Well, of course, the birds right. are going out further, and oh, yeah. he, he was telling me about that, Dave, and he said, Kenneth, he said, I'm telling you, I've seen it, I'm seeing it happen, you know, and I don't, you know, I don't know if it's too late, can we reverse any of this stuff? He said, but I'm telling you, things are going on, and I'm seeing them, because I'm going up here every year photographing this stuff, and this, the last couple of years, he's noticed these birds are further out offshore because of the warmer waters closer to shore. Well, you know, what I'm wondering, and, you know, in fact, uh, just an hour ago, I called a, a garden show in Maryland, mm-hmm. and I was asking, you know how, like, you lay outside? Mm-hmm. Is there a way you could lay out shore grasses? And uh, mm-hmm. and if you made a refuge for the fish, and you'd also be doing a catchment for any silt out there, mm-hmm. but... Uh, but the idea that you could lay out respite for uh, fleeing fish, fish mm-hmm. fleeing the 100-degree temperatures, mm-hmm. and uh, and those little endangered species would have a hiding place, right? right. And uh, and so I, I've been calling. I, I got on another, uh, it was a New Jersey station, too, on the same theme. Mm-hmm. But I, I was thinking in terms of Memphis and, you know, the shoreline of both the Ohio and the Missouri. Right. And even the smaller tributaries, is there a way of like laying out some quick shore shore grasses uh, mm-hmm. to be able to keep some topsoil up there? And you know, I mean, you're so right about that. And unfortunately, a lot of times aesthetics gets to win. Like my son has a, a lake behind his house, but it's not his lake, and so there was all the lake shore grasses, and he could watch the wildlife doing their thing mm-hmm. and all that. Well, people that lived in the community didn't like all that stuff in their lake. Mm-hmm. They didn't like it right there on the shore. So they killed it all. And my son's like, well, now what happens? Where's mm-hmm. the wildlife? You know, we're messing up the balance and all. Sure. And it was only because they didn't want to see it. The aesthetics of it all. Yeah. But Jim, would the Corps of Engineers ever get on board on a large scale, uh, What like David's talking about? Usually it, not, because in the main channels, the grasses wouldn't survive. They'd be practically ripped out of the ground mm. and even if well, you could get sure. even if you could get something to root into it it roots if they die they undermine the bank which causes the bank to collapse mm. so usually that's not what they want to do okay um you want that water to move quickly as fast as you can down the channel mm. so well you got it jim well i i get to recommend this book uh it was about um I'm going to maybe have to call back and give you the exact name of the book, but it was about inventors, early inventors of America. And one of them that came up with a a ship that ran up the lower Mississippi, basically to Memphis, with the Ohio confluence. And 
It was called the Great Raft, mm-hmm. and it was log jam of a million years. Mm-hmm. And this guy had this ramming steamboat that would crash into this ramming or this these log jams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and he took six months to pound his way up the hill, and uh, and uh, it, it was one of the most expensive public works projects. Of <laughs> yeah, America yeah. At the time. But it created such a, a rapid run of the river mm-hmm. that what used to be like primordial is like whether or not you got any topsoil up there and left. We went from and, a nice shower to a jet stream, you know, <laughs> honestly. Uh, I hear what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, and, and so America got drained dry when that guy uh, pounded through. And I used to work out in the towboats on the Mississippi and the Ohio, and mm-hmm. it it was a great job, but, you know, when you see the environmental death of the Gulf of Mexico, yeah. I mean, that we're seriously, that's why I called the two stations. We need an emergency, like, public works project uh, mm-hmm. to get this thing done. And uh, they they could do it this afternoon, you know, mm-hmm. if they got off their butts and came up with enough, say, like, if there was a marsh that was kind of overcrowded, you could cut out patches and find a way to lay them up in there. And, um, you know, kind of like spot spot repairs. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking, in, you know, on the Missouri, though, or Mississippi and, and uh, uh, Ohio, there's got to be a way to, uh, to slow it down and yeah. capture that topsoil. Yeah, yeah. I have yeah. to agree with you, David. Uh, I mean, go ahead, Jim. I'm sorry. The, you, the Corps of Engineers spends lots of money on... The the it's the old river dam basically. Mississippi doesn't want to go through New Orleans. It wants to go down the Atchafalaya and into the swamps and grasslands and delta, mm-hmm. uh, right. which is nature's filter. We sure. st- we yeah. stop it from doing that because for the traffic to keep you know as with the levees and all that here stuff. in Memphis we you know when we have zero. On the the river gauge, it's ninety feet of water in the channel, uh, and they had they keep that channel open so that you know the, all the barge traffic can go up and down. Um, so it's it's not designed to be the filter; it is designed to be a highway for boats, a commerce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so there, there's not ever going to be a change on that uh, as long as until we find some other way to um, to move product. Up and down the Mississippi. All right, we got to go to a break really quick. Hey, I appreciate it. Oh, David, okay, David, thank thanks you. For so calling, thanks for calling, David. Good to hear from you. Good to hear from you, buddy. Thanks. We'll be right back. 260-5926. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Okay, so you could look at this. You know, I'm talking about sustainability, rewilding, wildlife corridors. You know, let's build those. Let's do that. Start doing some things to help, um, you know, reheal and build our environment back up. But see, then we have to fight against the things like mm. y'all were just saying. I mean, I didn't, I, I never really paid attention to this or what y'all were saying. But that's horrible that we took all the natural water flow, the filtration, the oh, environment. Yeah. So we at the could, end of the Mississippi River. Is there another way around? I mean, it would be longer, but. Did you have to do that? You know, and it's kind of like 
for tankers to in boats barges to uh, get into New Orleans and pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you you got to you got to keep that channel open, and that's mm-hmm. where the water's going to flow. Now, if you go to the the old river structure, th- there's a huge amount of water still going down there. Mm-hmm. In fact, I have seen where they they have to go up and inspect that thing. It takes a a very fast speedboat running wide open to stay just to stay still mm-hmm. oh, wow. where the water's coming through that structure mm-hmm. so um, it's um it's not the best thing but it's what we got well yeah and then it's like the earth does heal itself but maybe not in the same spot like the coral reefs and all they're they're we're finding where they're growing on debris and, and things like that, or they're creating things in the ocean for the coral to grow on to create more coral reefs. They're just not going to be in that area, which is, is sad and horrible, but the earth heals itself. Well, but we're still, it changes our personal environment. Yeah. I mean, we're our, we're definitely our worst enemies. There's no doubt about it. I mean, yeah. You know, we're creating a lot of problems out there, Veda, environmentally, I'm talking mm. about. Uh, yeah, and the, <laughs> including <Just>. environmentally, in <laughs> um, the earth, like you said, it does try to, you know, to keep us in check and take care of itself. But it's, it's, it's you know, with, with the population explosion, I'm not saying there's any fixed any of this. I'm not mm. saying I'm, you know, I, I don't know the answer. But I'm just saying I don't think it's going to get any better, to yeah. be honest with you. Well, I just think gardeners have been in, in control of the environment. You know, in their own urban situations, gardeners have always been in control. So that just means we can just start planting more more natives. I'm not saying eliminate our ornamentals because we need ornamentals, but planting more natives. And we're, we're learning how to spray responsibly, fertilize responsibly. We're learning how to get more variety of plants in instead of just a few. So as you're trying to figure out what kind of landscape you're going to have, we start learning to plant for reasons yeah. other than just because you got a tall one in the back, a middle one in the front, and a low one at the bottom. Which is my motto. Right. Now we're learning to plant differently. Well, but also I was talking to a guy last year, and he said he didn't know why this couldn't happen on a city scale, okay? Mm-hmm. Which is a large undertaking. Uh, he was talking about the runoff water, water that comes off your roof into the gutter, okay, and down the sidewalk and into the big gutter that goes to the, the drainage ditches. Uh, water that runs off of a parking lot, okay? You're talking about just mm-hmm. runoff water in general. But he was especially talking about uh, commercial buildings and, and residential houses. Uh, you know, why can't, he was saying, why can't there be uh, at the bottom of a downspout, for mm-hmm. example, okay, some kind of a uh, you know, whether it's a pit right. with with moss or a pit with grass or a pit with anything in water there. Water garden plants. Yeah, you yeah. know, he, but he was saying under every water uh, spout yeah. to where it's, so you're still going to get water, you still get runoff, but you're kind of like what Jim was talking about at the, at the mouth or the, you know, at the end of the Mississippi River where you spread this stuff out, mm-hmm. where it's not just flowing, yeah. you know, like a mini creek. Uh-huh. Down your front yard to the you know to the drain. Yeah. I don't know if that that can ever be done, well, but people are thinking about yeah, that stuff. Yeah, stuff that's the thing. Every little bit does help. And you know, I hear people say, "Why well, do that? That's not going to make a difference." Well, you don't have eight but, billion gallons of water running in you know down Central Avenue at one point, right? Don't we? Uh, 
get charged now for how much runoff absolutely yeah. your acreage like out there at dan west on 64 they take your acreage and determine how much water that you're handling even though there's no sewer out there mm-hmm. okay you get charged for runoff water <laughs> yeah so you have and it's not cheap i can just see them going hey i got an idea let's tax them on this yeah yeah let's mm-hmm. create it where there is runoff and then we can tax them on this it's entrepreneurship right you know how <laughs> we were talking about some of the thin skinned trees uh might occur some damage back during that uh flash freeze that we had before christmas uh, I had a gentleman come into the garden center yesterday with a pitcher in his hand, and he had a cherry tree. And we all know cherry trees are very thin-skinned. And Jim invaded <laughs> at the towards the bottom of this cherry tree. Uh, there was this uh, s- split, if you will, uh, where the bark had peeled away, and you could see where it's actually even started to kind of hopefully callous itself back together. Uh, and of course, the split wine there last year, and you know, and Jim, you know, how Jim was making the comment that on these thin-skinned trees, when it's zero degrees and the sun comes out, on one side of the trunk, it's a lot warmer than it is on the other side, and you get that expansion and that contraction, and you can get these splits. And this is a this was a classic example of damage uh, that showed up because of that freeze on the trunk of this tree. And his question was, he's like, can you know what? you know, what can I do about this? And I said, well, unfortunately, the damage has been done. Yeah. We can't reverse that. And you can see where, you know, the, the bark was fluffing away, but it was starting to callous back over. And I said, the biggest thing with this is twofold. One is you want to try to make sure that it's not holding water, which it wasn't because it was just a, a big, wide mm-hmm. crack and water could run right through it. I said, but also from time to time, you might want to spray an insecticide in there just to keep insects out uh, as insect-free as you can. But then, it, you know, it made me think, how much, how, how, you know, is there any damage out there that we, that we still just don't even know about? Oh, right. Like, or, or, or have we seen any potential damage that occurred last winter? Uh-huh. Um, I mean, surely by now, if anything was going to happen, it's probably happened, hadn't it? Except for maybe some things that aren't going to have the energy to flush out again which we'll find out later, but like you said, it seems like we've, we're have an idea of what potentials can happen. Yeah, I mean, so yeah. hopefully, you know, next spring, you know, if a cherry tree doesn't flush out, is it because, and it looks, oh, yeah. and it looks good, is it because, oh, man, you know, this is still because of what happened mm-hmm. last winter. Yeah, what do you think, Jim? I think so. I think for two or three years or more, maybe, we're going to see plants declining slowly. Like Japanese maples, mm. you know. I had one that I got from Dan West had a had a huge trunk on it. Got hit by the um, freeze when it had been warm all through March, and we had to take the plastic off the houses because people were complaining. And then we got to, went to twenty six degrees on trees that had leafed out, and it's oh, ex- you're exactly on. right, yeah. And so this tree was dying back slowly. So I eventually bought it and took it home. Uh, and it lasted another five or six years before it finally went all the way really? back. Yep. So, uh, well, that's just, it's unfortunate, but yeah, I think we're going to see that. I think we'll see it in some dogwoods. I think we'll see it in, um, all the, the thin bark trees mm-hmm. like you're talking about. I think we may see it in crepe myrtles. Um, it just depends. I think one on how hard this next winter is. I got you. You know, 
So, so if we kind of scoot through here and with a very mild winter, then it's possible that well they'll re-sprout and come out with enough foliage to help get them mm-hmm. going. Um, but a lot of plants, you know, I'm still seeing have very little foliage on them for the amount of roots that they've got. That's exactly right. Yeah, and I just don't know that they're, although they're producing food and they're storing food. Um, Are they doing it enough it of enough? it? Are they doing yeah. enough of it? Right. Yeah. Oh, well, we're going to get to play with this for a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah. but I and, guess but, but we didn't have, luckily we had the rain and the coolness because that's, right. that's allowed our plants to still continue to heal. But I guess still making sure everything stays hydrated and feeding, maybe a little more uh-huh. than we typically do. Absolutely, y'all. Hang on, come back after these messages. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. So I read this quote that makes you go, wow, this is true. A cloak of loose, soft material head to the, is held to the earth's hard surfaces by gravity. Gravity is all that lies between life and lifelessness. Wallace H. Fuller, Soils of the Desert. So if you think about it, we got this little thin sheet of soil held to the earth by gravity mm. that we're living on. Oh, yeah. That we're living on. Wow. And you know, I did always wondered, like, I didn't realize how many forms of wildlife and plants live in the Amazon per acre or hectare versus, like, so many other places. So the Amazon rainforest <clears throat> is just full of stuff especially bugs yeah yeah (laughs) thank you jim right right but you know never real because you know they're always talking about the rainforest and we've got to keep it because it's going to mess up our climate or an environment and all but the amount of wildlife bugs and all that in the rainforest and trees and all are amazing well you're right and it starts at you know below ground Mm -hmm. at ground level midway up in the trees and if in the top of trees. Right. I mean, it's from the top to the bottom. And the oh, the floor is so full of uh, life. You know, like in a teaspoon of soil, there's like 4,000 species of things. Mm-hmm. And like <laughs> a billion total. Yeah. yeah. Like the microorganisms mm-hmm. add that to it. Yeah. In a teaspoon of soil, all those little, little bitty things in there that, that creates life, creates compost. It's like it's like our soil breathes. Well, because we've got air pockets in the soil for the oxygen. All those four thousand and those one billion uh, insects and microscopic insects and all that—they have to breathe, and so they're breathing. It's almost like the soil's breathing. All right, what about speaking of soil, though? You know, we typically—if you had a garden, okay. Uh-huh. You know, we add, I always say three things to my garden area every year. Add a little lime to make sure the pH is up where it needs to be. Add compost and add fertilizer, right? And then, of course, plant. Well, before, you know, too long, we're going to start ripping out a lot of the vegetables that we planted in the spring. Yeah. yeah. And go ahead and get those out of there, and then we'll start a fall garden. Mm-hmm. Um and we were talking about just off the break a while ago, you know, uh, as far as fall planting, some people do plants, some people do seed, right? Right. But right. let's just say if you're doing seeds, whether it's, you know, mustards and collards and, and greens and those type of just leafy type fall vegetables, 
Jim or Invader, are we ripping the the spring and summer stuff out of there that's just done its deed, right? Get it out of there. Are we adding compost back to that garden area? Uh, I mean, is it necessary is my point where you do it? that If you do it that way, you're doing it twice a year. You're doing it spring and fall. Or can we just get that stuff ripped out of there, rake it smooth, put a little fertilizer down, come back and sow the seed, lightly cover it, keep it moist, and call it a day? Or is it one of those things where adding compost is never going to hurt the soil? Right. It can only help the soil. In most cases, yes. Now, you can overdo it, mm-hmm. you know, because you still have somewhere below there, you've got a clay um, layer that's going to be very slow at allowing water to move through Mm -hmm. so you can have water build up in that and start root rot which causes the plant to wilt which causes you to water it again (laughs) right Um, right. and then there goes the oxygen right true (laughs) Um, and and you can you know if it's staying saturated you kill some of those microbes that are in there Mm -hmm. because they they need air and you're saying it can hold too much water if you have too much compost in the bed yeah the rule is you know you don't want to exceed much over eight percent compost Mm -hmm. at Mm -hmm. 10 plants can suffer so it's it's not but when we're talking about particle size that's it's hard to conceive that you know if you're adding 10 percent stuff to just bulk soil that's 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 okay yeah okay you can add 25 percent, but when we're talking about particle size there's still a whole lot more clay than there was everything else right that's right so, um it's it's not like looking at one to one so you know? all right so let's just say in about a month starting in early september uh people right. will start sowing their greens collards uh you know mustards and those kind of uh seeds out there uh, and it's really easy, guys. You just, you know, get the get everything pulled up, rake it smooth, add a little compost if you want, make sure the pH, add a little lime if mm-hmm. you want, if you need to. Uh, but you sow this seed out there, then you come back and either lightly cover the seed or lightly uh, scratch it in, if you will. And as long as you keep it moist on a daily basis, it comes up in no time. I just vision people taking their hands. Well, scratch, I mean, I'm talking scratch, about just a little cultivator. Lightly scratch, <laughs> yeah. scratch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it's but they're really easy to grow. And, and like I said, you don't want to do it just yet because it's still mm-hmm. way too hot. Oh, yeah. We still are in the first week of August. Yeah. We're about to go to the second week. So, but, yeah, you're right. But but I, I know for a fact that people will start sowing these green seeds, Jim, the latter part of this month, early September. Uh, because most of these green seeds have a maturity date of, what, 43 to 46 days? Or less. Or, yeah. or, right, or less. Um, so... In our first frost date around here is what, uh, Wait, oh, November, September, September, October the 20th or something like that? Well, yeah, October 31st and November 10th, I okay. think, yeah, is the range normally. Great. So starting in early September, getting these uh, these green seeds down is, in my opinion, the perfect timing to do it. Uh, and like I said, whether you're doing seeds or whether you're doing plants, you can have a really nice uh, fall garden. Now, what about, let's say, the end of uh, August, early September, and I'm ready to go out there and put my seed down if it's still 89 degrees. Yeah, I still do it. Do it. Yeah, do it. Because hopefully it's only going to be for a little, little, little bit. Because I can't wait forever to put these mm-hmm. seed down. No. Mm-mm. But, you know, so many of them, like Seven Top, will take a frost. Yeah. You know, yeah. mustard, not too well. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I, most cases I'd go ahead and do it. Now, you know, particularly if you're not going to harvest anything, um, you 
sowing things like English peas. They're good nitrogen fixers. Mm-hmm. So even if you don't have time to get a crop, they're good to be tilled in. As a cover crop? As a cover crop. Yeah. Uh, same with rape or any of the greens, really. Mm-hmm. Just go ahead and sow them, and whether or not you intend to eat them, uh, just till them under uh, or just let them die naturally. And those roots have, have helped separate your soil mm-hmm. and put organic matter back in there. So, but it, And we know for a fact that a lot of people sow these fall vegetables for consumption, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. But you're saying, Jim, if you've got a big garden and you get all that stuff out of there, you want to put something in there regardless as That's a right. cover crop. You know, it's just, do you need an acre of turnip greens? <laughs> gotcha. the, right, yeah. right. Got you know, for me, square foot or two here and there would be fine with a turnip greens. <laughs> but it is a great cover crop. Now, is there one, you mentioned rape, because we know yeah, that's, that's a really good one. But is yeah. there, in, in, in uh, vetch? And, of course, vetch, clover. Clover, clover yeah. English peas, yeah, English even ragrass. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, right, so snow any of peas. those are mm-hmm. perfectly fine. Just right. sow them out there, let them grow, and then next spring you go in there. Do you cut it down first and mm-hmm. then till it in just, mm-hmm. is what typically people do. You know, with the weed mm-hmm. eater, you know, right, and then, just, yeah. get to, and then just work it in, yeah, or just start chopping it in as it is. But it takes longer to break down if you keep it really long. So yeah, mowing it would break it into smaller particles so it could break down quicker. And I think mm-hmm. on all the seeds, uh, you know, the mustards, the greens, uh, the turnips, uh, the rutabaga, I mean, all of that stuff. I think the one in particular you've got to be a little more careful with uh, overall would be the spinach, okay? Uh, spinach doesn't like... In my opinion, I don't think warm soil temperatures to germinate. It's got to be a little cooler. Yeah, uh, maybe and that's, could shade it some if we get too early. Thank you, yeah, baby. And that's why a lot of people have trouble with spinach. They can everything else comes up, not a problem. They're always saying, "Well, I can't get my spinach to come up." I think it might be just a timing thing. Yeah. You got to let that soil temperature get a little cooler for that spinach. But there again. You can't wait too mm-hmm. late because then you got to worry about a frost right, coming in. Because it is a timing thing. But then, of course, in the mid south, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Yeah, just build a shade lean, or just build a simple lean-to, just to shade it for maybe a week, even a couple of days. It really is beneficial, because we've had to do that a couple of times when I used to help this lady get her fall garden going. And the first year, it it worked okay, but it kind of struggled. And I was like, this year, let's let's shade some of this stuff. And... It it helped tremendously. And, and Just a little bit of shade during that critical time. Made especially on things something like spin, uh, spinach seed. And Jim, you know, calcium nitrate, we're always talking about using that in a vegetable garden, especially around tomatoes, to help blossom in rot. Wouldn't that be just a perfect fertilizer also to use with just leafy foliage? Yes. There you go. The yeah. calcium nitrate, mm-hmm. you yeah. said? It's a good green foliage. Yeah. So how do you buy that? In a four-pound bag, sprinkle it out there. It's that easy. You know, it's too easy. No, yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah. If it gets into cooler, really cool weather where your ground temperature is cool, then you, I, I would switch to nitrate of soda because mm-hmm. that is, um, but you can't buy it anymore. Yeah. But no it is kidding. mixed mm-hmm. in, I think it's still in the Spoma products. You know, I haven't looked lately. Huh. huh. Well, I mean, there, why I know, would you not be able to buy nitrate of soda? Well, high yield doesn't make it anymore. Probably mm-hmm. a cost thing. But oh, I, and I know right. there's a million yeah. water-soluble plant foods you can spray on your greens. Mm-hmm. I get that, and they're great. You know, whether it's Garrett juice or has to grow or but sometimes big you bloom have or any to of have those more 
than that little bit that's in those mixtures. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but a four-pound bag, you know, when you start looking at something that's going to cost you $25 for a four-pound bag, you go, do I really want this? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right, you know? right. Yes. You're exactly right. Do right. Really Zinc sulfate's that? always been one that's been hard to sell because the retail price of the four-pound bag, which doesn't do near enough on a, on a pecan, pecan tree, is just costly. You know, Now, you can get a 50-pound bag. They're still not cheap, but that's the best way to buy it. Yeah. Mm. And then you so. need a special order and on down the line. Right. Okay, run to a break. we got to hear what y'all have got going on in your garden. I know y'all are probably getting awake now. But remember, you can listen to our podcast if you missed anything. But give us a call, 901-260-5926. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. So I had a customer find out that the most fun stuffer is in the potting area. Now, what do you mean? You know, like while you're doing your experiments or, or you had something that you wanted to save. Yeah, I wanted to <laughs> save. Or, or like the orchid that I saved and I put it in a Kokiadama ball. And the Watch orchid, your mouth. I this know, it program. sounds like that, does it? Kokiadama. <laughs> Kokiadama. But it's a round moss ball that you plant in. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do an orchid in this. This is the orchid. Let me see if this works. You know, sure, it's not going to work. Hanging outside and all the nice weather that, you know, but shade, humidity, water. Man, it's growing back. The stems come beautiful. It's about to just bust out. And I've got that thing. I've been babying it, loving on it. Well, here comes a customer up front with my orchid that she got out of the potting area. (laughs) But you know what? I sold it to her. Heck yeah, you did. You can't help it. <laughs> this time of year, we're after every dollar we can get. <laughs> exactly. Let me tell you what, <laughs> yeah. Spe- Speaking of orchids, I mean, and anybody that's ever grown orchids, um, you remember Dr. Steve Pridgen? That oh, used yeah. To have, yeah. Uh, Very well. Uh, he used to grow orchids. And in fact, he had this huge greenhouse, beautiful greenhouse mm-hmm. that was nothing. Trying so far. hard to get a green orchid. You're right. You really? He would get in there and mess with the chromosomes and mix <laughs> them and match them and try to get, you know, these different colors. Long story short, though, he had this beautiful greenhouse that was full of orchids. Um, and I had a lady come into the garden center the other day, and she's got a a tray that she puts orchids in, and it's in a specially built window, okay, where she gets plenty of light, the humidity's there, got good drainage, and she just loves growing these orchids because they, they have such a long blooming season. Well, if you grow orchids or anything else long enough, you're going to get mealybugs, okay? Mm-hmm. And I told her, I said, now, this is one of the hardest to kill insects, I think, that you can have on a houseplant, you know? Yeah. They're tough. I mean, you got to really get in there, and, and you got to pay attention to get rid of these things. So when I, I told her, she had read where she did get the alcohol and the Q-tips <laughs> and gone in there and try to physically remove as many of these fuzzy little mealybugs as she could. And, you know, the ones, that, of course, that she, she could see. And I said, that is perfectly fine. In fact, I, I have no problem going in there and trying to physically remove as many as you can. I said, but what I sold her, guys, uh, there was two products. There was the uh, systemic houseplant granules uh, that you can sprinkle in the soil mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, water it in, and it was systemically be drawn up through the roots, move through the plant and kill the whatever, in this case, mealybugs from the inside out. But then I got to thinking, uh, and then I sold her, uh, I think, triple action, which has got neem and pyrethrin, okay? Uh, It's got a neem oil and it's got that pyrethrin combined, which are two great products to kill 
mealybugs. And I said, now, listen, you're going to have to spray more than one time uh, and just be very vigilant. Keep your eyes peeled for these things because they are, they are, they're tough. I'm telling you, they're hard to get rid of. But if these orchids, guys, are grown in a very porous bark median, mm-hmm. how long, Jim or Veda, is that systemic granule going to stay in there? And I know the mm-hmm. roots will absorb some of it. I get that. But, you know, so much water's flushing through these right. things, uh, you know. And they don't have anything to hold it really, in, exactly. really. Exactly. And that's why I said, you know, do both. You know, mm-hmm. you make sure you spray these things also with this triple action. But I wonder if a, a metachlorophyte, a granulated systemic houseplant granule, I know it's going to do fine in, in soil, okay? Yeah. But is it going to be that effective, Jim, in a bark-based soil? I guess it would. Well, I, I would say probably not because you, when you water it, you flush so much water out. Well, I, I know, but I mean, initially it's going to draw in some, though, isn't it? It depends how, how much contact you're having between the bark and the roots. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, I think a metacloprid spray would be a better option. Mm-hmm. So it's absorbed through it or even acephate, mm-hmm. uh, which would give you, to me, give you the best control. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that the granules, you get the result and, and, that you want. And like I said, I don't even know if these were in bark. I have no idea, but I know yeah. a lot of orchids are in a barky mm-hmm. yeah. median, you know, and then yeah. there's some that are in a barky slash soil median. Growl barky, loud barky. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I'm just throwing this out there because, yeah. you know, mealybugs are to me, I mean, I, I think I'd rather have any other insect problem. On my bug. indoor plants, other than mealybugs. But when I get insects on my plants, I just I wash them. Mm-hmm. You know, just wash them really good. If they're small, I put them in the sink with the sprayer and I just clean, clean them, mm-hmm. and then uh, let them set them out, let them dry a little bit. But then I always fertilize them. I spray mm-hmm. the foliage, I spray the soil, and then analyze why did it get it. And mm-hmm. a lot of times it's because ah, uh, kind of fall back on the watering, mm-hmm. or it was too far from the window. And those are the reasons why you're getting that. Or I haven't fertilized it in six months. Mm-hmm. So I wash it off really good and give it fertilizer and all of that. Uh, sometimes I'll set it outside in the shade just to, just to be able to get some of its natural environment to start feeling better and then bring it back in. Tall plants, mm-hmm. that, that's kind of hard to really wash them off, all the insects. And that's where that systemic works really good. It does. But like you say, you need to do the systemic and spray right but if you start doing a systemic before you ever get any yeah, i would have thought she'd capture and release the bug i know right <laughs> only she could get bugs. her hands around them Jim. <laughs> exactly well you know since um I and, do. I, and i know a lot of people veda like you're talking about when they start bringing uh, a lot of their plants indoors from outdoors uh, i would do exactly what you just said i mean i'd wash them down really good Sprinkle these systemic granules in the soil around every one of them. Definitely go ahead and spray them with a, uh, you know, a metachlorophyte like Jim's talking about or a triple actions that's got the neem and the pyrethrins and all that. And we'll get to that this fall. But it, it, it really does a good job in helping get rid and, and kill insects that you might even bring indoors that you don't know right. about. You know, I realize how many people actually don't fertilize at all uh, for months. And so many people that have come in, even on houseplants, and their houseplants kind of, eh, or it's not really growing. So you go over a thing, and they're like, wow, I've never thought of fertilizing. 
So, you know, fertilizing does a lot, or we don't think we need to fertilize that much, but anything in a container, oh, yeah. long-term container, you've got to really be diligent in it. You know, like a tree outside planted and been there for years. No, you don't have to think about fertilizing that, but a house plant, anything in a container, that's a number of times through the growing season. Yeah, because we're, you know, we're having to water so much and we're really flushing a lot of stuff mm-hmm. directly just right out of that soil to the bottom of that uh, that hole in the bottom of that yeah. pot. Uh, so I agree, especially container-grown plants. And I like to do two things. I like to use a granulated product, and as long as it's slow release, whether it's a, you know, a shake-and-feed type product, a start-and-grow type mm-hmm. product, Osmocote, any of those type products, right? But then I still like to use a water-soluble gym as a supplemental feeding. And you can do that every two weeks. Now, I know a lot of people don't. Yeah, but if you're but looking, you If you're yeah. looking for some really good aggressive growth and healthy, healthy plants, I think the fertilizer goes a long way. It does. Jim, you posted something on our Facebook page that I was going to ask you about, and I can't remember what it was. You had them lined up, planted by the pool. I need to find out what it was because I wanted to ask you something about it. There's so many things you've looked at. I'm sure you don't remember what I was talking about. Probably not. All right, y'all. We'll be right back. And hopefully I'll figure it out by then so y'all will know too. (laughs) The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back. You're listening to KWAM, 990 AM News Talk Radio. You can listen to us on podcast. You can call right now, 260-5926. You can be on air or leave the question. And then you can also shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, uh, Mid-South Gardening. Um, and like you said, Veda, give us a call, 901-260-5926. Well, the thing that I was talking about, Jim, it wasn't lined up by your pool at all. I think that's another one. The one that you titled Anticipation. Oh, yeah. yeah yes. With my uh, night-blooming series trying yeah. to open. Unfortunately, yeah. I think the yeah. heat's preventing them from opening. Oh, I no. looked at them last night, and they, although they had been watered, they looked a little wilted. So yeah. I s- dropped the pot into a, uh, a, a, a pot of rainwater and mm-hmm. let it soak real good. You know, that's one of those plants that is just so nondescript. You would never give it a yeah. second look. But, man, when those things start blooming, there's absolutely nothing we, like it. We have one at the garden center that is four feet tall, and they they strapped it to a round pole. Mm-hmm. So instead of trailing over, it's upright. And it's put in a whole bunch of new growth. But all of a sudden, I realized, I mean, it's getting okay light, but why didn't I put that outside to get more light and more mm-hmm. humidity to make it bloom sooner? So what, what do I do? I, I, put, I went ahead and put it outside. So just Well, you have to be careful if it's been totally in shade. When you put it out, it's going to burn some of that foliage. Even with the bright light? Yeah. Okay. You know, mine, mm-hmm. I, mine sits in, in a, uh, during the wintertime <clears throat> on racks, but it has, it has lights like kind of like the ones here in the studio that shine on it so that mm-hmm. it gets lots of light yeah. in indoor gym yeah well it's in the in the shed or the yeah the garage Protected or whatever area. yeah um and then uh, when i bring them out i bring them all out and put them in full sun early in the spring mm-hmm. sun's uh, not quite as intense but i still get some burn 
uh, particularly on anything that may have put out new growth while it was in the garage. Now, y'all got to uh, look up the Night Blooming and I, series. And I've got, I think, 14 varieties. Good grief. Um, but most of them are too young yet to bloom. So uh, I didn't know there was, like, the, the story that I have is my wife's mom, my mother-in-law, had one. And we got a phone call around midnight one night and said, y'all need to get down here. This thing is fixing to bloom. Um, so me and my wife, we were, uh, you know, it's, it was many, many years ago. Let me put it that way. So we get to my mother-in-law's house, and sure enough, this beautiful, huge, white bloom. We were sitting there watching this thing bloom. <laughs> and, and that's the only time that uh-huh. I've ever seen that. Uh, and I'm glad that she... <laughs> At the time, I hated that she called it midnight. I'm like, mm-hmm. there's no way I'm getting out of this bed. Right. But but it's, it's really unique, and I, and it's something to see, I'm telling it you. It really is. And, and, and well, like I said, Veda, and, and with, without seeing that bloom, I would have never, ever paid any attention uh, whatsoever to that houseplant. Right, right. Well, I guess they're very slow to bloom because this tall one that's like five feet is a good price. Mm-hmm. It's a good price. But to, I said, what are we going to do if nobody buys this and it gets ready to bloom? Are we actually going to stay at work all night so oh, yes, we can you will. see this bloom? Like, we just might. <laughs> and do they typically bloom at least once a year? If they're Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I've had them throw blooms over about a six-week period, mm-hmm. you know. Um, <clears throat> but, yes, they, uh, uh, they're beautiful. I've got red ones and yellow red, ones. Yeah, red? The There's white, a red one? Yeah, the white ones are the only ones that are big enough to bloom right now. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, but I have I have a number of different colors. Yeah. I thought they were all white blooming. Isn't that crazy? Too, yeah, because that's the only thing I've ever seen. So well, they're all loosely called that. You know, mm-hmm. some of them have some other well, you know, interesting names. But okay, that's so apparently it's going to be old enough to bloom since it's that tall. <laughs> and I have just taken it outside, and actually, it was in a darker shade area. I don't think I've fertilized it at all. And like, speaking of fertilizing, in about mm-hmm. maybe since last fall. Ugh. Um, well, you ought I, to mark that one way down, and I'll be over in a little while. Oh, okay. You're right. Well, I might do that just so <laughs> it can have a chance to bloom. <laughs> but, yeah, maybe come check it out, because that way if it blooms at your house, somebody will see it. But I so, want to show you all this picture right here. Now, this is my ex-daughter-in-law. Okay. Yeah. But she goes on to talk about putting snail mucin on her face. There's Veda. Yeah, ah. which Veda's doing. Thank <laughs> you. Oh, the funny thing is, is remember I told you I took it to Florida so my son could could use it. And then my granddaughter was all interested about it because she saw SpongeBob. They did it on SpongeBob, mm-hmm. snatched some snails up, got rid of the wrinkles on his eyes. So the next <clears throat> thing I know, Cheyenne's mom, Lindsay, she's texting me going, what's the name of that stuff cheyenne said you looked good <laughs> i was like okay we're spreading the snail stuff around so that's pretty cool that your uh daughter-in-law ex-daughter yeah, yeah. and she looks really good too but it looks like that might be more in the jeans than in the snail yeah, stuff. <laughs> yeah she's, she's very attractive so back to the night blooming thing so can i um is there a chance for me to get bloom this year if I fertilize it and have it outside? Or? I think it could just kind of depends on how root bound it is, you know, because mm-hmm. they really don't grow in soil. They actually grow attached to rocks and stuff. Okay. It's um, definitely root bound. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So now, since it's so root bound, would I transplant that next spring? I would not. I'd That's leave what it I'm in thinking. there. Okay. I would leave it in there for, you know, probably a couple more years. 
Okay, that's uh, what I'm thinking. All right, because so again, gonna... they're just the only thing they're doing is holding on to your soil to uh, keep it upright. Now well, that's I'm... not, but it's not in the orchid family, though, is it, Jim? Uh, no, uh, it's a uh, it's it's a cactus. Yeah, a tree okay. cactus. Well, uh, so now I'm going to find a really pretty pot to set it in because you just can't have the black bucket. You no. know, I gotta I gotta have this pot that's going to match the bloom when it happens. But I need to make sure when I water it doesn't sit in water. That's true. Because that's one thing that I see happens. People set it down in a pot, and then they put a saucer in there to hold water so it doesn't drain on their carpet. But then that saucer holds water too long, and things that like low water, it'll mess it up. So y'all always check that with your house plants. And also, Jan texted in. Um, she said, landscape lighting in flower beds and shining up in the trees. You know how we, we see that, which mm-hmm. I love those looks. I know the bulbs are not full spectrum, but how does the all-night lighting affect uh, plants mm, and trees. Right. And we talked about that before. Um, it, it, it does affect them, but not to the point where it's detrimental. You know, in fact, uh, Veda, and I have to go back in my notes, as a year, maybe even two yeah. years ago, we were talking about, you know, street lights, mm-hmm. uh, how it affects uh, uh, trees, yeah. you know, that are close to it. But they're again, not to the point where really you can mm-hmm. see a problem. Yeah, street lights, you know, are affecting just a very small part of the tree, so that in and anything on the ground again is it's hitting the lower leaves, the mm-hmm. bottoms of lower leaves, but most of the foliage, by far, probably ninety five percent, are not getting uh, direct light off of that. So that it's not going to be a big deal. Now, where I have seen them damage are things like gas lights that stay on twenty four hours, mm-hmm. um, and I, they'll kill things like. Uh, dwarf Alberta spruce they'll just the whole side will die off where that is because they they need that darkness mm-hmm. uh, and so many plants that are bloom on the length of the night it mm-hmm. can mess up like yeah. chrysanthemums and things mm-hmm. like that uh, it can it, it can delay it because it's staying light too long and the night should be getting shorter right which stimulates them to come into bloom uh, so that so, I mean, so there are there. some instances where yes. there could be a few hiccups, but overall, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be hesitant yeah. uh, to have some really pretty night lights, whether it's in my shrubs, right. shining up in the trees, mm-hmm. you know, in walkways, wherever. Right. Now, I do wish that maybe people would put them on timers so they wouldn't be showing all night because there's like light pollution that messes up insects and, and their natural circadian rhythm. Thank you. Rhythm. Yeah. Um, lightning bugs, you know, they're starting to have some issues. They're, it just messes it up. I mean, well, I to think, them, it's like daytime 24-7. Well, I'm not thinking any city, you know, across the United States, mm-hmm. we're, we're seeing that data. So we just keep building our uh, natural habitats in our yards and create some dark spaces for some of the insects to hide out. But uh, that is a thing. Light pollution, you know, like shut your curtains at night anything you can think of to reduce the amount of light that's that's showing out there uh, but we're stuck especially in memphis with really needing some areas really lit up all the time yeah i think so yeah but you can go out there any, anywhere in the city and look up and see stars right Barely. well yeah. one or two yeah <laughs> that's my point uh-huh. and then you get outside you know in a uh, out of the city environment mm-hmm. and look up i mean it is truly is amazing yes. the difference but you um, need to get to some place. We went uh, back on our 10th anniversary, went to Hawaii, 
and the last night there was like july 4th or something and but we were sitting on the beach there's no lights and you almost can't see black Mm -hmm. there's so many stars yeah (laughs) i mean you just you never realize that and you know every two seconds there's something streaking through the sky you know that you would not see if you had any uh, other light Mm -hmm. showing so it to me was just one of the most miraculous things i've ever seen and i know we got to go to a break but real quick we're talking about the night lighting you know people having Mm -hmm. lights outdoors in their landscape and i love that look at night you know uh, and now yeah. I know there's different, you know, bulbs that people are using. Most of the bulbs now are, are LEDs. Jim, I mean, that shouldn't make any difference. I mean, because they're going to be LED. You're not going to find just regular bulbs that you're putting in yeah. night lighting anymore. Yeah, most all of them are going to those. Yeah. All right, we'll be right back. 901-260-5926. You're listening to KWAM. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back. So, if you live in Arlington, Atoka, mm-hmm. Bartlett, Collierville, Germantown, Lakeland, Millington, Mumford, Oakland, or Somerville. That kind of covers them all, Veda. What kind of lawn or insect problems are you having? Fire ants, weeds, brown spots, bare spots, we've all seen that, right? Our Let Me Kill Your Weeds Guide Herbie Systems can solve all of those problems. They've been making our Mid-South landscapes beautiful for over 39 years. Herbie Systems locally owned and has a team that maintains over 11,000 customers' property, and they maintain your trees and shrubs. Yeah, and maintaining your lawn uh, can be a complicated process. We all know that. Whether you're dealing with insects or need to irrigate your lawn, Herbie Systems has your back. The best lawn care program in Memphis, Tennessee. Let me kill your weeds has never, ever sounded so good. For a free quote this week, tell them you heard about Herbie Systems on the Garden Show from Veda or Kenneth or Jim, Mm -hmm. or say KWAM. Yeah, and if you want to give them a call, 901-390-9898. That's 901-390-9898. And, of course, that's Herbie Systems, the one lawn care company we love to brag about. We really believe in these guys. They do great work. And I'm telling you, if you've ever had a problem, they'll figure it out. All right, I wanted to talk about something that we're seeing a good bit of here lately. Um, And... Our buddy Mark Salzman of in Central Kentucky, who uh, listens to the program, is and sows huge swaths of flowers for his hummingbirds and for butterflies. He's had a problem with both. Um, and first of all, what it is, it's caused by it's classed as a bacteria, even though it's different from most bacteria. Bacteria usually have a cell wall. Mm-hmm. These are f- from phytoplasms which uh, have one or more very thin membranes that um, hold all the guts inside of it. Mm-hmm. They don't have a nucleus like most mm. things. They, it, their DNA and RNA is scattered throughout the, the, the cytoplasm inside the, this the rod-shaped mm-hmm. thing. And um, there are hundreds of them. One of the first ones that was noticed was in Japan. They have this one that affects mulberries, uh, and it was called um, mulberry dwarf, where it caused contortion of the leaves, and it was a real problem because the this is where the plants where the leaves are used for silkworms. So, but mm-hmm. what they the reason it's really classed as a bacteria is because they found that if they sprayed the uh, mulberry with tetracycline, it would actually cure it. 
uh, and, which is a fungicide. No, it's it's an antibiotic. Antibiotic, okay. yeah, you know. Um, yeah, I got you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it uh, it worked quite well, and and the trees recovered fairly quickly. So that's one of the main reasons that it's actually considered a bacteria. Um, Hmm. And the two that we get here a lot are aster yellows, which affects asters. It affects cone flowers, um, a number of plants, and milkweed yellows. Uh, and these um, phytoplasms can cause uh, witches' brooms. They can cause, hmm. um, it's called phyllidae, which means that the flower is green and stays green instead of being the color that it normally is. And, you know, if you have, say, um, cone flowers, some that are normal and some that have the, the phytoplasm, the ones that are stay green stay on there longer. And that we think is because that by having the flower green, it attracts insects to it, which get reinfected uh, with mm. the phytoplasm. It's moved here primarily by leafhoppers. Um, yeah, it, there's it, a ton of leaf hoppers right. this year also. And any, but anything that has a sucking mouth part can actually move this. And, and of course, they tend to hit the tenderest foliage at the top of the plant. Mm. And then it can move down through the phloem. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's quite, quite bad. And if you see one that looks un- unusual, remove it. Yeah, you know, from the garden. And you said, Jim, uh, what we would typically sit on would be asters and milkweed. Uh, yes, and coneflowers. And coneflowers. Yes. Uh, anything that looks unusual, uh, it can cause where instead of you having a flower, it will throw leaves out of the within the flower. Uh, it can cause stretching of the plant, compaction of the plant. Uh, it can get into the phloem and actually kill the, some of the phloem so that the plant ultimately dies back. So there are a number of ways it can manifest itself in different plants. Um, the earliest noted, there was, a, uh, I think, a painting that dates back to about 60, 600 mm. that were of peonies, and it shows three peonies being the correct color, shows two flowers being mm. solid green. And so that that's where we see, we know it goes back at least that far. Now, see, to me, that sounds more viral, you know, with some of the... And when I first got in this business, that's what we thought it was. Yeah. You know, the Japanese discovered that it was a phytoplasm in 1967, but there wasn't much done that we considered it still a virus until much later on and then realized that uh, it was 1999 or so before... Uh, or I'm sorry, 2009 or so before they decided to class it as a bacteria. And again, primarily because you could kill it with tetracycline. So, and if it was a viral, it, that would not that have would happened. not have worked. So, um, if you see any unusual plants like that where the flowers are uh, not the color they should be, uh, or you have leaves coming out where there should be petals, uh, or if it's very heavily compacted remove it from the garden so that it, you don't have insects moving it. And the really the only control we have is to remove the plants and keep them sprayed for uh, insects like leafhoppers. Mm-hmm. The issue is, though, that they, they have just a very small... Uh, pl- when the, a very small mouth part, and when they stick that in, 
even if they die immediately, they've already mm. injected it into the plant. Mm-hmm. So it's not easy to control. In mm. uh, uh, anyway, so, so it's good to know. So and if Bob, hang on just to a like second. Get ahead of it, then you're doing something to kill the leaf hoppers. But then that really but is not you, even gonna. It matter. may not even help. Right. It, yeah. I mean, it could reduce it some, but not but, enough. Yeah. yeah. So Those leaf hoppers, and like I heard y'all talking earlier. Yeah, Bob, hang on. Um, yeah, I've never seen the leaf hopper itself. They were bad this year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's I've a little white little thing that runs up and down the stem, <laughs> and you try to touch it with your finger, it just pops runs off. On the other yeah, side. there are lots of colors, you know. Mm. Usually, if you walk up to it, they move around the other yeah, side. Yeah, that, that's why I can never see them. <laughs> kind of like a squirrel. <laughs> I'm trying to run around the stem right. to see them, because aren't some of them pretty? Yeah. Seems like I've seen some yes. that has some red and blue in them. No, they're not pretty, though. <laughs> they don't make that bloom pretty. <laughs> Let's go to Bob from Midtown. Good morning, Bob. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Yes, good morning. Uh, Veda, you mentioned a while ago about healing the earth. Yes. I was thinking about all the recent uh, tornadoes in mm-hmm. our area with the last couple of months right in particular the one that uh, demolished rolling fork mississippi mm. i mean it's mm. hardly nothing left mm. of rolling fork that's so sad and was I, got devastating. Th- I got to thinking uh, a relative of mine uh, that lives in cleveland uh, he has a ministry with uh, delta state university they went down right after the tornado you know delivering mm-hmm. supplies and things like that that people need yeah. you know, on a temporary basis he said there were areas where the grass was literally pulled up Ooh. off of the ground mm-hmm. wow oh yeah wow. and where there would be stands of old trees some trees 80 and 100 years old are just ripped up mm-hmm. out of the ground you know mm-hmm. and i got to thinking to rebuild I mean, not only the land, the grass, plants, uh, uh, farmlands, it's like you could say Rolling Fork is a blank slate. Yes, true. And to start back in the right way, to do it, you know, we're talking about we fix things the wrong way, Mm -hmm. this is the chance to fix things the right way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With plants and things like that. And I have noticed that there are some landscapes that are starting to change into that way. And just hopefully the people that are in charge of it are going to think that way. Well, and you hate, you know, that that, that's the reason that you have the opportunity to start over. I mean, it's a horrible reason why. But I hear you, Bob, since you do have that opportunity, it needs to be maybe done right this time, you know. I mean, you're talking about like neighborhoods where all there's left is the sidewalk and steps yeah. and you, there's no housing all the people that live there say well miss jones lived here and her right. house is not here yeah. you've got to go back and think how they're going to rebuild if you want to hang on um we're going to go to a break really quickly and then we'll get to you after these messages Glad y'all can join us this morning. Don't forget you can get us on the uh, podcast. You can download the Mighty 990 app and stream us online. Listen to the podcast that way or listen on your favorite 
podcast station. Is that what it is? There's so many different ways. Oh, Jim, 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 Jim. Yes, what? So I'm not trying to find these things, but I saw an article on Coffee Grounds. It's like, okay, now what? Let me see. Last, last Saturday, I had on a, a TV program on the Gardening Channel, and you know, and the girl, lady says, well, what do you do to your houseplants? And the lady says, well, I put coffee grounds and eggshells in there. Mm-hmm. And I think, you dummy. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, we'll have to go over coffee grounds again. Something that I read. Uh, let's go back to Bob in Midtown. Bob, thanks for holding. So we were talking about how the storms yeah. affect our landscape and all. Not to mention the trees are all gone, so now we're going to have a lot of runoff. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, well... As far I was thinking, as far as the farmland in the Delta, I mean, that's wide open land. You know, I was thinking maybe there, the rain could have benefited the farmlands mm-hmm. and all. Uh, but I remember talking about trees as a kid. I used to ride the bus between Vicksburg and Memphis. Yeah. And uh, I would see homes where they'd be surrounded by trees used as a windbreak right yeah yeah and i mean some of those homes are still there and the trees are still there but in a Mm -hmm. tornado situation that windbreak is no benefit i mean the trees would be gone right right and uh but i was just thinking about you know your thing about healing the land uh if they do it, you know, um, I know it's a monumental task for that town down there to, you know, build mm-hmm. back the right way. Right. Well, even just yeah. changing the landscapes more yeah. would would be a benefit, too. Yeah. Yeah, instead of planting. I mean, we're still going to have to have crepe myrtles and, and other yes. types of plants. We still need some of those, but maybe let's introduce some of the things that grow Well, you know, naturally. you mentioned the uh, crepe myrtles. There's some here in Midtown. I mean, they don't grow as great big oak trees, but mm-hmm. they provide enough shade. But they're not, if one of them fell down, it wouldn't do that much damage. Right. right. That's right. You know, so uh, that might be a option for them to think about as far as shade goes. Mm, that's a good point. There's yeah. a lot of nice trees that are 20 feet tall. Yeah, they provide mm-hmm. good ample shade. Yeah. That's true. I saw a picture of a of a umbrella, you know, on a patio, and the deer were sleeping under the umbrella. Oh. So any little type of shade, <laughs> they would appreciate. Yeah. Well, well, I, I enjoy y'all's show. Hey, Thank thanks you. for listening. Yeah, okay. thanks for the Bye-bye. call. I know, wouldn't you? I would like to be in charge of that. Pro- well, maybe not in charge, but help with that project of redoing a, a town yeah, that with like all that. the. Uh, the knowledge that we have now, because we're learning as time progresses other ways that we can build things to make it work better. I mean, you know, think about how in cities where they put all these buildings up and they create this crazy wind tunnel when you come around the corner and it just about takes your clothes off. The wind's blowing so hard. But did the architects know that was going to happen? There was a program on uh, on Channel 10, and I'd, I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of it, but it was on this past week. And they they showed uh, the effects of towns, and but the one that impressed me was Singapore, where everything they built has to have green in it. Yeah, you know yeah. all the roofs, their patios, everything has trees. Yeah. So instead of having a green space on the ground, they took the green space up with the mm-hmm. with the trees. 
And it, it was just absolutely spectacular to see that. Did you see like how they, they made these really tall wire umbrella yes. things like mm-hmm. and then grew the vines and the wildlife on it? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's, That's uh, it's pretty amazing, I'm telling you. And speaking of shade, they, they, you, you were talking about um, <laughs> Anita Ford texted in on the Mighty 990 Facebook page. She said, I am blessed that I didn't have to put soaker hoses out until August. Well, yes, you are mm-hmm. blessed. <laughs> I uh, haven't had to water yard or plants except containers and roses. I watch the birds and squirrels daily enjoying the Pilex plates of water I give them on a daily basis. Saw a squirrel flat out laid out on the concrete in the shade after he drank <laughs> after he drank one of these. Oh, it's entertaining. So, you know, you're talking about the deer mm-hmm. uh, sleeping up, up under the umbrella. You know, here's the squirrel just laid Man. out flat uh, on this concrete in the shade. Same Squirrels thing. Squirrels are really humorous oh, to watch. Funny. They really are. They're so cute with all the little shenanigans they pull. <laughs> Jim's like, yeah, they they were cute on Jim's apparatus that he built. Mm-hmm. It. So, yeah, Nita, thank you for that. And Jim, yeah, Jim had a, uh, uh, a bird feeder, and he figured out a way to finally beat the squirrel. You know, we we have tried as, as humans forever to get yeah. one step ahead of them and just fail miserably, you know? Mm-hmm. But Jim had to... <laughs> yeah, just electrify the sucker. He got it figured it out. <laughs> even, a, even a squirrel will soon learn its lesson. If he mm-hmm. keeps getting shocked, it, it'll finally give up. Right. I saw on the Facebook page, I think it was where somebody had posted some pictures of the cutest little possum. And one person was like, Rat bait, kill it, kill it. And then after that, there were so many comments on the benefits of a possum. There are no benefits. benefits. Of, of what they eat. There are no benefits. <laughs> of possums. Yeah. yeah. Everybody it, says they, they, eat, they eat ticks. If it's on them, they don't yeah. go out and hunt ticks. Right, right. Yeah. You know, all they're doing is bringing ticks to your yard. Yeah. You know? No, I have no, yeah, I have no problem, Jimmy. Another wives' tale. Yeah, yeah. They didn't say anything about a meeting. Another myth. Yeah. yeah, there you go. And yeah. by the way, great job on Miss Jim. Also, um, and we talked about this briefly last weekend. Or I've had so many people come into the garden center this week, um, and um, buy cans of hornet wasp spray because mm-hmm. wasp are. Everywhere. Really, yeah, they are. They're really active uh, this time of year, right up under the door, up under the eave, under the porch, wherever they are. And this good gentleman told me that he, he came in and he bought some of the hornet wasp spray, of course. But he said, is there anything that I can spray in here that will keep them from building a nest? Yeah. Um, well, there is, Jim, like, you know, like what, bifenthrin or some of these? Yeah. Permethrin. And I said, you can use these products because they have a really good residual to them. I said, but when it comes to killing the wasp on these nests, if that's what you want to do, I still think you're better off initially spraying mm-hmm. those with the hornet wasp spray. And the reason being, when that stuff hits them, it kills them dead. Mm-hmm. They fall dead. If you go out there with a little pump-up sprayer or a hose-in sprayer with some permethrin, pyrethrin, or some bifenthrin, some of those products, and you spray that nest, it'll kill them, but it doesn't just knock them down dead like that hornet wasp spray mm-hmm. does. You better have your running shoes on is all I'm saying. So yeah, The hornet wasp spray has a lot of petroleum distillates in it, which makes it, once sprayed, they can't fly. Yeah, Jim, and that's why, like, if I've got nest, active nest, I'm going out there with that product, and I'm going to spray the nest, on, and I know I'm going to kill them immediately. Now, I don't mind going back out there under my eaves or wherever I'm spraying the side with a 
you know, a permethrin or bifenthrin type product because they're really good, safe insecticides, but they do have a good residual. Well, yeah, particularly if no rain gets on them. Right. So you can, I, mean, I like to spray them up underneath a railing on a deck uh, where you know, they're likely to build underneath there under the eaves, just, you know, early in the season, just go in there and spray and yeah. try to do that every 60 days or so. Yeah. yeah. And you won't have many. Yeah. See, I would, I would really prefer y'all to do that. So you don't actually kill the wasps. Because they have so many benefits in our landscape anyway. So I love that. I haven't think about that. Let's go ahead and pre-plan. Just repel them. Yeah. And and then that way they'll just go build somewhere else and maybe make sure you have some places they can build. (laughs) Not close to you. Okay, Greg, uh, calling from Atlanta. Thanks for the call. What can we help you with today? Hi. So I had planted some green giant arboretas on the edge of my property, Mm -hmm. and I'm putting in this stone, a paver stone um, walkway yeah. and the edge of the walkway is going to be about four to five feet from the center of the Arbor Vita, the green giants. Yes. And so I'm realizing these are going to eventually grow up over the pathway. Mm-hmm. So essentially my question is, do I need to move the green giants or can I hedge them or shear them into a hedge along the edge of the pathway? Can you move the pathway? <laughs> no, <laughs> let's Unfortunately, see. It's a pretty narrow spot. Yeah. Right, right. Hmm. What they're you do? they're five feet from the trunk. Uh, yeah, the edge of the pathway is I would say it's probably like yeah four to five feet. I don't um, think it's it's going to be years before it interferes with it. Um, okay. Yeah, I I wouldn't I wouldn't do anything. Just go ahead and and put your walkway in. Yeah, and these uh, arborvitas, Greg, that I was talking about earlier in the show that are behind me in my neighbor's yard. Uh, they're oh god, they're. 15 foot tall but they're probably no more than four foot wide yeah you know even a mature one might make 15 feet but Mm -hmm. you know more of them we see are in the 10 foot range but how wide jim that's what i'm saying about 10 foot wide you know on a 30 foot tree yeah i think because they have they have they get a little wider midway than they do at the bottom yeah uh is this which side is this is this the east or west side or what um, so it would be on the west-facing side. Okay, on the west-facing side. All right. So if you go and then shear those, Jim, you're going to get those brown tips for sure. Yes. It would be better. This is going to sound weird. be better to pluck them. Yeah, that's what I was going to recommend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you go in there. There are some tools that you can actually do that with that will limit the browning. Um, but If you had to shear. Yeah, but if you would just go in there and, and just pluck the tips out of them, um, just prior to spring, that will take you back an inch or so and then let them re-sprout. You don't want to go further past green though. Uh, you want to, you want to pinch just into the, the green and, and that way you don't have any, any brown tips and, and they'll refill that. And then next year you can do it again. Okay. Got it. That makes sense. Yeah. Wow. Good question. Definitely a good question. So now you don't have to dig them up. No, and don't move Love that it. pathway either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was hoping to hear. Uh, yeah, great. exactly. Greg, Thank have, you. have a great weekend, Hey, buddy. thanks for listening this morning. Yeah, let's go right. out and right. pluck our arborvitae. That does yeah, sound I weird when you said But that's yeah. a good name to call yeah. it. That's what I, you, you know, in a class I had with John Naka many, many years ago, uh, I had a juniper, a little shimpaku juniper that I was training, and uh, mm-hmm. I said, how often should I pinch that? And he said, get up every morning and pinch 200 tips out. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you, see, here, you, here you can have it back. I don't need to zen now, that me, much. And I know we got to go to a break. Jim, if it wasn't on, invade, if it wasn't on the west side, if it was more like on the north, 
north or east side are not going to spread as as wide. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. We're heading to a break. We'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you could be with us. Okay, the coffee ground thing. We were talking about, you know, the coffee grounds. So this time, well, there's there's this new thing I'm hearing called uh, closed-loop landscaping, closed-loop waste management. It's just c- completing the cycle um, and not, you know, trying to stay sustainable, trying not to take things out of your loop or bring things in your loop that aren't, um, real, I mm-hmm. guess would be the way to say it. It's a new term that I'm I'm reading, and but the um, Kansas State University has discovered or are experimenting with coffee grounds and saying that they grow before the co- coffee grounds are composted that they grow this unique good mushroom, like a like know. a mushroom, like an edible mushroom. But they the coffee grounds grows it before the coffee grounds are composted down. So, so, so I want to check a, that it, out. So it's growing a mycelium of some yeah, type, a fungal. Uh, right, right. Something. But they've just started this. So again, it hasn't had a lot of tests or trials to, to see if, but but how is it growing mushrooms? You know, what is it? Is it, what if it's, it's only a certain, <laughs> yep. yeah, what if it's only a certain coffee, you know, because everything has different things. So mold grows mushrooms because mushrooms grow on mold and fungus and all of that. Well, I don't think so you're going to ever get mushroom. Well, I don't think you're going to get the mushroom growth from coffee in the sense that a mushroom that, that we're that we envision mm-hmm. when we when we say mushroom, right? Yeah. But I think you'll get a mycelium or a mold growing yeah. on there that well, might they're have. They're calling it a, a edible mushroom. Well, you know, it's just the reproductive part. The vast majority of it is in growing through those. Uh, coffee grounds, and uh, they apparently have found one that will survive the caffeine, okay, Mm -hmm. which kills so many plants. So Yeah, what they were doing is trying, again, to close the loop in their little area of taking all the coffee grounds, Mm -hmm. of course, and then... um, And Jim was talking about this on Debunking the Mist the other day. And I was like, I don't, I just saw this article, and I was like, well, now let me see what people, because, you know, talking about coffee grounds and all, but they're not talking about how they're putting them in their compost pile and making stuff, or they're not sprinkling around their plants, which was the big myth, you but know. they're growing this mushroom yeah, um, this that highly, is edible. Highly desired edible mushroom. Or is it? Or do they have to advertise it to make it highly desired? You know how you can write things. But, you know, at least they're trying to find out what to do with all these extra coffee grounds because we're definitely coffee drinkers. <laughs> no doubt about that. <laughs> Also, I know we've only got a little bit of time left this morning. Uh, talking about hydrangeas, you know, we've been talking about the little spots that people are seeing uh, on the foliage. And some of those spots can either be fungal or bacterial. Mm-hmm. Uh, so going in there spraying with a, a liquid copper or a daconil or just a, a broad-spectrum fungicide, it won't clear up any spotting that's on the foliage. I was talking to a lady yesterday about that. And she said, oh, it won't clear up what's already on yeah, there. And I was like, right. no. You're spraying to prevent further infestation, further damage. Um, well, it's like any leaf that's eaten or damaged or, or fungus yeah. d- disease, the leaf has to fall off. It yeah, and eventually they, and it will cause mm-hmm. prematurity defoliation, especially if you, know, if, you, if you do nothing. But it's not uncommon to see some of those leaf spots this time of year on hydrangeas. And like I told the young lady, I said, it's not going to kill the hydrangea. I mean, you don't want this stuff. Yeah. Um, and there are sprays that you can spray, and I showed her to, and she bought one, 
to help reduce the amount of the spots that you see. But also, a lot of the leaves on some of these hydrangeas are becoming very washed out. Oh, you know, really? just the green chlorophyll yeah. is going away. It just looks like a washed out mm-hmm. leaf. You mean like a, a plant that's been in a container too long yeah. and it hasn't had any access to fertilizer or anything? Lady, you're exactly right. Yeah. Usually, you know, way too much sun on these uh, big leaf hydrangeas. Oh. Uh, and I've got one on the eastern side of the house. It gets full blazing morning sun. I know it's not the perfect place for it, but it's been there forever, and I'm not going to move it. Mm, right, um, right. So in some years are worse than others. So I know it gets too much sun. It can be from lack of water, and this is by a little patio and brick wall. So And I, I water from time to time, but I don't give it enough water. I know yeah. that. I'm raising my hand here. And then, of course, feeding. You know, you need to – so if you've got hydrangeas that, first of all, have spots, spray on liquid copper, daconel, one of those needs to be done. If you have hydrangeas that have very washed-out foliage, especially towards the top, uh, trying to create a little more shade, uh, making sure these things stay hydrated like they really want to be, and then maybe even feeding the thing. Yeah, you know, right. All of those feed. will yeah. help, I'm telling you. <laughs> Something to look out for. Kenneth's like the doctor that smokes. You do what he tells <laughs> you, not like he does. <laughs> Oh, man. Jim, you're killing me. That's how uh, I felt with my containers on the patio. Yeah. When I finally practiced what I preached and started it fertilizing. It makes a I difference. I mean, I fertilize at work. I've been fertilizing as a gardener forever. But for some reason, I was just never fertilizing the containers on the patio. But I use either I use the Fox Farm Big Bloom, and then I might at times use the Fox Farm... Um, tiger bloom Mm -hmm. and the tiger bloom's got some fertilizer in there kind of spikes it a little bit and then i replenished with uh what did i have this time i didn't use the worm castings i used some of the earth mix that has all kinds of nutrients Mm -hmm. in it yeah i use that as kind of replenish some of the soil you know because like if you water in one place you get a divot Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i got added a little layer of that and man the colors look so good on my plants the million bells i've it's called pink lemonade. Y'all have got to get the pink lemonade million bells, but it's just busting out looking mm-hmm. gorgeous. So a lot, just bump up your fertilizer some. And, and, and not only the container-grown plants, Beta, which surely need it because we're watering yeah. so much, uh, but plants in general, you know, like this hydrangea I'm telling you about. I mean, I know I just need to go out there and feed this thing. Uh, and there's so many just common, fer- whether it's organic, like millorganite, plant tone, mm-hmm. holly tone, any of those are perfectly fine, or some water solubles like you just mentioned. I just got to make myself go out there and feed the dang thing. Yeah, and Like Jim said, I'm not a smoking doctor either, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the other thing is getting ahead of the fertilization because a lot of times when you notice it needs fertilized, it's harder to get enough nutrients to it quick enough to have it looking good in time. So uh, if you can just stay ahead of it, that, that works out good. And real quick, I know we've only got a couple minutes left. I was talking to a customer that came in work the other day, and he showed me a picture. In fact, he even brought the bug in, Jim. Invaded. <laughs> uh, it was a two-line spittle bug, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and I've seen a lot of spittle bugs, which are, I, I know, it's a kind of a crazy term, on foliage and stems of plants. But these were in the yard, and I mean by the thousands. And I had never seen a two-lined spittle bug in sheer numbers in someone's lawn that Not way. Not in the wow. numbers he had. Uh, and, of course, they can do some damage if you read about them to your lawn. So mm-hmm. he put down this high-yield uh, bug, bat, bug blaster plus that's got the above and below. 
you know, because they also had grubs. So it's got the midichlorpid in there for the grubs, and it's got the other stuff in there for the bill of the spittle bugs. But man, these bugs are still going crazy out there. Is my point? Yeah, we still got some weeks to go. Wow, it is time to go. Y'all enjoy your week. We will see you next weekend here in the Mid South Garden.